The cinemas, the silver screen, the theater, the big screen. No matter what name you give these houses of film, there's one thing we can all agree on. We love to go to the movies. Looking good, Francis. Well rested. Like you've been pitching, not catching. Play long enough, you never change the stakes. The house takes you. Unless, when that perfect hand comes along, you bet big, and then you take the house. I'm the dude. So that's what you call me. If you ask me, everybody in this theater is a giant sucker. Especially you. It's a bit nipply out. I mean nippy out. <laughs> what am I saying? Nipple. <laughs> I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die historic on the Fury Road. Win or lose, we're gonna walk out of the stadium tonight with our heads held high. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. We have had a doozy of a day. Real doozy. I only eat popcorn. Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Oh, just some scary movie. Welcome to Chuck Goes to the Movies. And now. Here is your master of cinema, Jeffrey Chuck Norris. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Chuck Goes to the Movies. On our last episode, Robert and Mark joined me, and we shared our thoughts on the movie Logan, which is a phenomenal movie, if anyone wants to ask me again. I love it so much. I invite everyone to go out and check out that episode. Give it a listen. Uh, let me know what you think of it. I love all the feedback. It just makes this it's that much better when people tell me how much they love these movies that we talk about and how much they love the episodes themselves. But before we go meet up with today's guest... I just have a few requests, as usual. Be sure to give a follow on Instagram and Twitter. That is the best way to keep up with everything that's happening on the show. Rate and review the show wherever you are capable of doing so. All reviews will get a shout-out on Instagram and on the show. And just show some love out there, not just for me, but for other podcasters and other creators out there, because we're all pouring our hearts and souls into these, and we just love doing them. Now, let's go ride a tornado, follow that yellow brick road, and go somewhere over the rainbow to join our guest in the theater. So today's guest is a newbie on the show, but he is not a newbie to me. I have worked with him, collaborated with him on a couple of other episodes for his podcast, and I'm happy to finally have him on here. Please welcome my fellow pod, uh, my fellow podcaster. I promise you I haven't been drinking all day, even though I wanted to. Uh, Ian, how are you doing today? I have been drinking all day, so between the two of us, we're good to go. Uh, we, should be, we should be fine. I'm awesome, man. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm a huge fan of the show. This is uh, it's quite an honor for me. So thank you. Oh, no, man. I'm so glad you're here. And you picked one hell of a movie for us to talk about today. I'm so excited about this. Um, well, why don't you take a moment to tell the listeners a little bit about you, your show, where they can find more about you, you know, yada, yada. Sure. Uh, I'm, my name's Ian. I am the host of the Why Whiskey podcast. We are a a uh, history podcast with a whiskey problem or a whiskey podcast with a history problem. We're not sure yet. Uh, you can find me on all of the podcasting platforms that are available to you. And I am on Twitter pretty actively as whiskey. Why whiskey underscore Y and then uh, why whiskey podcast on Instagram. We can see what, uh, what we drink on the show. I post pictures and silly shenanigan things on there. So, but that's, he, that's me. 
Yeah, you have such an amazing collection of whiskeys and bourbons and stuff like that. I'm still filling those uh, bourbons that you sent me for our uh, talk um, when we talked about the history of movies and things like that. Those were some good choices there. Yes. Um, but yes, uh, it's a they wonderful were, They were your choices. So. They were my choices, but I mean, you, yeah, you yeah. I'm in your collection, <laughs> so I still credit you for having that. Um <laughs> But yes, no, you have fantastic episodes. I especially liked uh, um, the last couple ones that you've done, uh, not just for your show, but where you were a guest on other shows, you know, the Scuttlebutt podcast and E14 podcast. I've been enjoying those as well. Uh, just a lot of great people coming together and having a good time. So uh, I'm glad you're here and we're going to have an absolutely great time. And uh, I know I already asked yeah, you this I've question. Been trending with Navy guys. Yes, yes. Oh, you know, sorry. No, no, you're no, you're fine. Uh, that's a very good point. You've been trending with the Navy guys here, and you're an Army guy, so, um, hoo yeah, you know, glad you want to hang with us. <laughs> uh, Hashtag beat Navy. Oh, oh. I just gotta okay, throw that, that, I gotta, I gotta throw that in there. Okay, I have, I, I, and that's a wrap. All right. <laughs> All right, that was great. We didn't even talk about the movie. No, um, I don't know. I asked this question before uh, we actually uh, officially began the recording, but since you are a whiskey guy, you are a whiskey podcast, uh, why don't you tell the folks out there what you're uh, sipping on right now? So right now I have uh, poured a the Jack Daniels Bottled and Bond. It's their 100 proof. Uh, it was called the Traveler uh, back in the day. It's now only found certain times a year and only found at military exchanges, which I thought was kind of cool. So uh, our our exchange here happened to get a, a case like of it, and I grabbed it as fast as I could. And it is amazing. I'm not a big Jack Daniels fan, but this stuff is is great. The proof does it justice. Um, I also have, uh, for later on, I have Bully Boy. Uh, they're a local Massachusetts distiller. This is their uh, American straight whiskey. So trying trying something new this evening. Absolutely. Well, keeping with uh, the Navy spirit here, I'm uh, sipping on a bottle of rum from right here in Wilmington, North Carolina. I've talked about it on a couple of my shows before. End of days. Ah, you got the Pilar. Nice, nice. Uh, end of days distillery. Big shout out to y'all. Y'all make fantastic stuff. They do rum, gin, vodka, just absolutely amazing stuff. So that's uh, my little sipper today. Excellent. So... Aside from what we, the movie we're going to be talking about today, uh, are there any films that you have seen lately that you want to share your thoughts or feelings on uh, with our audience? So I, I got the chance to sit down with my daughter who came uh, to spend the week with us for my son's graduation. And uh, she, she's graduated years ago. So, uh, but she came back. She's like, Dad, you got to watch this movie. It's called Eurovision with Will Ferrell and Rachel Adams. They are the Icelandic singers uh who go on the eurovision oh oh yeah it's a will ferrell film so uh it's not gonna win an award but we were laughing our tits off it was amazing <laughs> i i've seen the previews for it. it's on netflix right i believe so yes yeah i've seen the previews for it. i just um I haven't been uh, brave enough to sit down and watch it because for me will ferrell is going to be hit or miss no matter what his movies are i love some Will Ferrell movies like Talladega Nights is possibly one of my favorites of his uh, Anchorman, but not the sequel. Um, but then there are some Will Ferrell movies like what the what am I watching here? I, I, I just don't I don't get the appeal. So I, I'll I'll get brave enough to sit down and watch it one of these days, I guess. I, if you, and I do like Rachel McAdams. So, yeah, if you go in 
uh, with the right mindset, you won't be disappointed. I mean, if uh, it's a it's a Will Ferrell film about a silly uh, singing competition in Europe. So uh, keep them. And they're from Iceland. So it's, it uh, it builds in silliness. Uh, you know, it starts with the silly, but it builds as, as it goes on. And it was it was wildly entertaining. And honestly, that was the first new movie I think I've seen in forever. I don't watch movies much. Uh, I don't I, I don't get the opportunity to wow. to sit down and enjoy films. Although today, because everybody left this morning like super early, so we had the house for ourselves. Uh, Jill and I just sat and vegged, but we watched. You know, we we have like a, a playlist that we'll just fall back to. You know, because <laughs> our attention span mm-hmm. is is pretty light <laughs> after a busy week. So we we go somewhere <laughs> we know. You know, so I think the. The greatest no, showman was it. playing at one point in time, and then something else. So, yeah, Newsies, I believe, was the other one. But uh, but no, Eurovision was the first uh, new film for me in a while, and I I'm uh, <laughs> I'll watch it again. It was it was great. All right, well then that that's a review that I will uh, take to heart, and I will sit down and uh, give this movie a try. And I love the fact that you just mentioned the Greatest Showman. I love that movie. Uh, I uh, almost have that soundtrack memorized. Almost. Um, it's fantastic in many ways. And believe it or not, I have never seen Newsies. Really? Really. Uh, can, I mean, my guys wife. Are, guys our age kind of grew up with it. I know. <laughs> I know. My my wife actually finds that to be extremely amazing. The fact that I, I've seen a crap ton of movies in my lifetime. I've never seen that. This is one of the few movies that she actually loves and was so excited when it was on Disney plus when they launched. Uh, so, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I've yet to sit down and watch it. And I, I, I've been meaning to give it a try. My buddy Danny has also given me crap over not watching it uh, before either. So it's on my list. I just haven't gotten there yet. Yeah, the weird thing, sorry, bouncing back to the greatest showman uh, is to see. Um, oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> he, he just he just did the show on Wolverine. He uh, oh Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm I'm drinking. Don't judge me. Yeah, Don't right. Um, but yeah, to see him go from you know this singing and to realize he got his start on Broadway. Like mm-hmm. he's he's a singer. He's a Broadway performer who you know then went and got into films and did a bunch of other stuff. So it that was a really odd role for me to see him as not knowing his history before I saw it. And then, uh, doing a little digging into him I was like, Oh shit, no, he's, he's a Broadway guy. So, um, you know, Wolverine sings who knew. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, to me, that just <laughs> proves how, um, how terrific of an actor he actually is the man of many talents. Uh, uh, you know, I've never been an actor myself. It's always been a dream of mine, but I've never actually gone through with it or tried to become an actor or anything like that. But, you know, I imagine you're more of a marketable or you you can sell yourself a lot better if you uh, can prove that you've got these talents and these ranges that span across everything. Imagine if all we ever knew Hugh Jackman from was Wolverine. Would we ever think of him in any other way? But now we have that opportunity to be able to see him in different lights because he is a singer. He is a dancer. Um, he's done a romantic comedy. Do you remember that sh- uh, movie, Kate and Leopold, with Meg Ryan? Never saw it. It's not the greatest movie. It's got some merit. But, I mean, you know, he he's in that movie, and it's a romantic comedy. So I, he's he's definitely a man of many talents, and I like, I enjoy watching Hugh Jackman. He's a, he's a good guy. I was, I was heartbroken when I first found out that... Uh, Jenny Lind, the actress that played Jenny Lind, mm-hmm. that's not her singing voice. 
Yeah, uh, Rebecca Ferguson was, was that actress. And uh, from what I understand, she actually can sing. Right. Well, she you could tell she was actually singing for that clip. Mm-hmm. But they didn't use her voice, mm-hmm. and that was like, they, it was like, well, wait a sec. Every, literally everybody else that sang was using their voice. She got the pass. Why did she get the? What the hell? <laughs> I mean, the the actress. I guess she won uh, America's Got Talent a, a couple years prior to that. Mm-hmm. She was the one. I forget her name. I, I'm terrible with names, but uh, she was the one that was selected to be the voice of Jenny, the singing voice. Anyway, yeah, and I was I was sore disappointed. To, yeah, to see that wasn't her voice. I agree. It would have been nice if we just got to uh, hear Rebecca Ferguson sing those parts. But, you know, they they make these decisions, and uh, I guess it's not really for us to understand. They had their reasons for doing it. I don't know what those reasons are. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, They should share those. mm Mm-hmm. Trade secrets. I I want them all. Give them. Yeah, give them. Uh, Anything else that you've been watching? No, I, uh, I'm, I'm waving off on, uh, on the, the, uh, the winter soldier, uh, the Falcon and the winter Plus. soldier. Falcon and the winter soldier. Yeah. yeah. My son went hard into that. Um, and if I couldn't keep up with them, so I, I'm, I'm off on that. So I've, I've avoided the, the hype on that one, but no, man, I, I honestly, uh, and it's also NHL playoff season. So yeah, uh, TV time is kind of limited to my, uh, well, not my Red Wings anymore because they haven't made the playoffs in a few years, but hockey <laughs> in general. <laughs> so, so yeah. But no, that yeah, Eurovision was the first one, first new movie for me in a while. That's awesome, man. Um, and as far as yeah. uh, hockey for me, that that was over when the Caps lost. So, <laughs> poor Caps. I, I've had to pick alternate teams just because the, the poor Wings have not done well the last <laughs> few years. So, yeah, no, they, it's, so, it's so great. It's yeah, great. they. Where, where have the where have the Red Wings been? Where are they? Where are they? Uh, under piss poor general management, that's where they are. I mean, they're in Detroit. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they're 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 practicing their off season, you know, uh, resting skills, like for the last four years. So. They've mastered that. <laughs> they have. They have. It's time to we get back in the playoff game. Uh, no, I mean, they're having some drama with with upper you know front office stuff. Yeah, I can only imagine. I, you know, I'm not one to talk about uh, teams not making it to playoffs or even championship games. I mean, I, I, I've been a Cowboys fan my entire life, and when was the last time they've done anything of merit or made it past like one or two playoff games? So, but you know, still gotta love them. As far as movies that I've been watching lately, I've been doing a lot of rewatches. I haven't actually seen anything new. Uh, I just rewatched Who Framed Roger Rabbit last week. Uh, I, for- I forgot how funny that movie is. It is fantastic. And then I sat there and thought about it. I was like, there's no way I'm letting my son watch this movie right now because he would just be petrified about the fact that they're killing cartoons. <laughs> I- I don't remember being yes. scared of it as a kid, but I can just only imagine how his heart would be broken. And that's the first time uh, I had ever, you know, fallen in love with a cartoon character. Oh, yes. You know Jessica what I mean? Rabbit. Oh, oh, God. And then, I mean, the second time was, uh, what was her name from uh, Space Jam? You know what I mean? Oh, Lola like, Bunny? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, just wicked hot cartoon characters. It's like, what's going on here? This is not Disney, damn it. You know what's really strange about uh, the character of Jessica Rabbit in this movie is the fact that uh, we all know that Kathleen uh, Turner 
um, voiced her, but didn't get any credit for voicing her. So nowhere in the movie credits does it say her name or anything like that. The only credit you get for Jessica Rabbit's uh, character is the singing voice. And I don't remember who did the singing voice for it off the top of my head. But I, I love I love her raspy voice. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that. There, uh, there's a, a couple other big uh, and it seems to be animated films where people go uh, uncredited. Uh, singing and it, it it's usually the singing voices that go uncredited mm-hmm. and you don't know this until you start digging through like okay what has this person done and then you go say oh shit that was their voice like the uh, Chris Jackson was the voice of I think the father in Moana the singing voice of the father was he I didn't really realize that yes totally uncredited wow I, I, it might not be the father it might be uh it, but he's it's one of the, the main characters you know what i mean yeah uh, and and he's uncredited as, as the singing voice for that which makes sense because it's a lin-manuel miranda thing yeah but, um uh and the two of them are, are awesome which in the heights coming out soon stoked i just watched another preview for that today and i can't i i'm very excited about this movie i can't wait for them to drop it on hbo so i can i i can watch it in fact they just played it um I'm going to take back what I said. I did actually watch something new today. Um, I watched uh, the new Conjuring movie, The Devil Made Me Do It. Uh, and they showed uh, an In the Heights preview right in front of that. And I was just like, man, this movie looks sick. I, w- I cannot wait to watch this movie. That and Anthony Ramos, uh, he's a great singer too. Yes. Yep. And uh, I, I haven't seen the, the cast for it, but I've been listening to the the Broadway original cast soundtrack that's got a lot of the, the Hamilton folks. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> the, the crossover that are, that are in there as well. So yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. I'm stoked. That's going to be, that's going to be a good one, I, but I'm, I'm a theater nerd. So it's, Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, you know, I, the other day I was on, I was on the boat and, uh, I was really bored. So I just started singing. I, what was I singing? I was singing, um, uh, I can't re- I can't think of the name of the song right now, but it's a it's a Gershwin song, and uh, I'm also the youngest person on my crew. So when I started singing this song, the my fellow crewmate looked at me and just like, "How do you know that song?" I was like, "Because I like musical theater, and uh, we actually did a musical in high school called Crazy for You, which is a Gershwin review, and that's where I know this song from too." So. He's like, wow, that I don't know very many people your age who could sit there and sing Gershwin like that. And I'm just like, I think it's normal, but, I, you know, I'm glad you're impressed. I, 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 was, <laughs> I didn't know how to respond to that. You, you start dropping. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do I do with my hands? Mm-hmm. Oh, God, I don't know what to do. But yeah, when you, uh, when you come out of left field with something that's odd, you know, people will get uh, the, the preconceived notion. So that uh, I, I always love doing that, you know old folks start talking about oh this show and that show oh yeah i've seen that yeah what what do you do but yeah <laughs> it's awesome um yeah but uh what was i talking oh yeah so uh i watched two frame roger rabbit and then i uh i decided to go on a batman kick and so i went through the dark knight trilogy and uh which i i like all those movies uh so just uh batman begins the dark knight dark knight rises and then uh of course HBO just also dropped recently the Friends reunion, and being a huge Friends fan, I had to sit down and watch that, and I've already watched it three times. So, 
Don't judge me. Okay. How did I? So I'm I'm not a huge no no judgment none at all. I'm I'm not a huge Friends fan. It's okay. So I'm very familiar with the cast. Uh, but what was your take on on the reunion? Because my daughter hated it. <sighs> I liked it, but you know it's not like one of those things. I, I like the way they did it. Uh, I like that it wasn't them trying to come back and like recreate the show or anything like that. It, they didn't. They didn't come back and play their characters or anything. They were the. They were just themselves, and they were spent the time reminiscing about the show. They reenacted maybe a couple of the scenes. You're like doing a table read and stuff like that. But you know, they they more talked about uh, what it was like to bring that show to life because uh, you know, no matter where you stand on where Friends is on this list, whether you love it, you hate it, or you're just it's there and it's something you acknowledge. Um, it just revolutionized uh, sitcoms in general. I mean. From its launch in 1994 till its uh, close in 2004, in 10 years, it really uh, changed the way we look at uh, sitcoms and how they're handled, how actors are handled through the whole thing. You know, you always hear about these pay discrepancies between uh, all the stars, whether they're in TV shows or movies and stuff like that. This is a cast that stood together and made sure that, you know, they were all doing equal work. They all wanted equal pay, things like that. Were they being paid way too much? Absolutely. At the time of close, over a million dollars per episode. I mean, that's ridiculous. But, you know, they also knew they were part Holy of... Sh- yeah. Per cast member? Per cast member. I, I, can't, I can't remember the final figure. They don't talk about it in the reunion, but I remember reading it somewhere. It's like $1.2 million per episode is what each person was making. Uh, and But, you know, they, they knew they could ask for that and get it because it was the most popular thing on television, it's a cult. Uh, it really is. It has a cult following. Uh, I, it's been one of the most expensive things on streaming services. You know, Netflix carried it for years. And then, you know, Warner Brothers now has it, has it over on HBO. And they had to pay a ridiculous amount of money to be able to show it and stuff like that. So this movie, or not this movie, this TV show has a lot of power and stuff like that. So they... The, the cast talks about, you know, how the, how they had to live with that fame as well and stuff like that. So, you know, it might hit some people the wrong way, like, oh, poor rich people. They had to talk about how nobody understood them and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I tried not to focus on that too much. Uh, I just tried to enjoy the fact that they were reminiscing, um, you know, that they all came together and, uh, you know, talked about this just cult phenomenon and... Um, you know, and they, they revealed some stuff about, uh, you know, themselves uh, during the show and stuff like that. Like uh, Jennifer Aniston and uh, David Schwimmer apparently had an off-screen thing. Which no one ever knew, I guess, until they revealed it on this reunion special. But uh, I would say my number one complaint about the entire thing is James Corden because I thought he was very annoying during the whole thing hosting it. Gotcha. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, he he has a tendency to to jump like over talk mm-hmm. uh, in some of his. I, I've noticed when he he's hosts things, uh, he's a funny guy and he's got great delivery, uh, but it's usually just one or two, one or two things too many. You know, you just gotta. You could dial it back a little bit, um, and I'm no professional at hosting anything, but you know it, that's one of those things where I, I kind of know something. Dude, shut up, let him talk. <laughs> that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, that's that's what I've been watching, and um, and of course, 
uh, what we're going to be talking about today. So I'm, uh, I'm excited to dive into that here in just a moment. But I do have a game time for all my guests, and you get to have a choice. Yes, you either get to do the mystery question, which may have something to do with what we're talking about. It may not have something to do. You'll find out. Or you can do a Kevin Bacon scenario. Have you ever played Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon? I I think I I think I have like you name somebody that's connected to somebody that's connected that gets like to Kevin Bacon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure I have at a time or two, but uh, I'm I'm a big fan of questions, so I'm I'm a roll with the mystery question. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, today's mystery question actually has nothing to do with what we're talking about because I had such a hard time thinking up a question that could have been related to what we were talking about. So, but. I did also think about this too. Well, it's kind of, I, all right, I take it back. I guess it's kind of related. I, I used to have this crush on Judy Garland when I was younger, and that's what made me think of this question. What celebrity did you have a crush on when you were younger, and does that crush still exist? Oh, shit, that's a good one. Uh, if you need a moment to think about it, I'll give you my answer if you need a moment. Yeah, 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 no, no, roll. Because uh, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to all right, you think. get you on this one. So, um, I can remember having a few crushes growing up, uh, you know, Leah Thompson, uh, from back to the future, Kate Winslet from Titanic, uh, even Lindsay Lohan before she became a, you know, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. (laughs) But, um, I think the main one I used to have a crush on is, uh, Julia Roberts. I used to have the big, I still actually have the biggest crush on Julia Roberts. Um, when I was in high school, in one of my television production classes, uh, one of our projects was we had to write a short script, and I wrote one called My Date with Julia, and it was about me having a chance encounter with Julia Roberts and us having a delightful lunch date. Uh, however, I'm pretty sure I accidentally threw it away at some point or just got lost in one of my mini moves because it's not with any of my other writing projects, which I'm actually very sad about. Um because I would love to, uh, I'd love to find it and you, you uh, put it out the there. World, the I know. I can, yeah. I can kind of, you know, remember some <laughs> of the basis of it, but like the exact dialogue that would have happened, I don't remember any of that. But uh, Julia Roberts, if you're listening to this by chance, I never say no to lunch ever, ever, he ever says it. I, so my crush, honestly, would have to be. Uh, so she wasn't. She wasn't a movie later on. Uh, she was in Smoking Aces, but my my hardcore celebrity crush has been, uh, and I think forever will be Alicia Keys. Ah, nice. Um, so, and and I, to the to the point where I tell my wife, I'm like, you know, if ever the the opportunity comes and Alicia Keys comes up and says, hey, do you want to get married? Uh, you're done. <laughs> we're kidding you, uh, and we're we're making the change. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's uh, since she came out, and I was. Yeah, I think I think that'd have to be it. That's the only one that comes to mind where I just like hardcore crushing over uh, over a celebrity. That's and that's a good one. Alicia Keys and she's like the whole package. She looks beautiful. Uh, she can sing. She can play piano. I dig it. Yeah, yeah. And I loved I loved her role in Smoking Aces. I love that movie uh, altogether. That, but that uh, movie's phenomenal. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. I like that. So, yeah, that would have to be my answer. You you chose well for the game time because the Kevin Bacon scenario was kind of hard. Honestly, I had to do a lot of research to figure this one out. So uh, you did yourself a favor. Trust me. 
<laughs> I would it would have smoked me. I would have been done. I, totally trust done. me, I, I sat there and I'm just like, how in the hell am I going to do this? I have to pick somebody from the Wizard of Oz and connect them to Kevin Bacon. This is an 81-year-old movie. How am I how am I going to do this? But it is possible. I did finally figure it out. It is possible. Uh Okay, but, so what what would I have to know? Oh, what you have was to the know. connection? Okay. So I was going to connect Judy Garland. Unless unless it's uh, unless it's like a no go on the show. No, 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 absolutely no. I have no problem telling y'all what it was going to be. So I was going to connect Judy Garland to Kevin Bacon. So I'm just like, yep. how how am I going to do this? And I'm just like, I've seen a lot of Judy Garland movies. I've seen a hell of a lot of Kevin Bacon movies. But where is there a connection? And I finally, I, I gave up. I honestly did. I sat there and I was making notes after notes after notes trying to figure this out. And I just couldn't make the connection. So I had to cheat. There's a website out there in the world called uh, the Oracle uh, Bacon or something like that, or Kevin Bacon Oracle. I, I don't remember. I have it saved in my phone. Um, so I put in Judy Garland and I clicked connect. And it can be done in two movies, which is shocking. Judy Garland was in another musical, one of my favorite musicals, Meet Me in St. Louis with June Lockhart. June Lockhart best known for her role as Mrs. Robinson in uh, the TV show Lost in Space, was in the movie The Big Picture with Kevin Bacon. No shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I completely forgot she was in Meet Me in St. Louis. That. If I could have remembered that uh, June Lockhart was in Meet Me in St. Louis, done. But I completely forgot she was in that movie. Still, still kind of blows my mind that there's a website where you can just punch in a thing and it gives you, the, <laughs> it gives you the connection. Yeah, it's it's that deep. It's 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 a whole thing. Like there there are so many websites dedicated to this whole six degrees of Kevin Bacon thing. It's almost like a it's almost like a church. Um, if you really want to. <laughs> really want to think about it let's see the the website is yeah the oracle of bacon so it's oracleofbacon.org and its primary purpose is to sit there and help you connect actors to kevin bacon that is it it's fantastic oh my god <laughs> unbelievable all right so now now i know this i'm, I'm going to use it to cheat and just find some crazy wazoo shit and stump the guys at work or something uh and google if memory serves also if you just type into the search bar like um like the actor so like if you just typed in like judy garland to kevin bacon in the google search bar i think google actually plays the game out for you as well and gives you all the different connections uh to that without even having to go to a website outside of google but it's been a while my friends and i used to sit around and do that uh when i had an office job uh no wonder we never got anything done. Huh. Okay. Yep. All right. <laughs> we were either busy playing, uh, like taking BuzzFeed quizzes or trying to connect Kevin Bacon to different actors. Um, <laughs> any Which my little pony are you? And seven uh, questions are left. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you did that one. You did that one, didn't you? <laughs> I don't remember the My Little Pony uh, one, but I definitely tried to figure out which Power Ranger I was, and I'm the green one, by the way. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing you're a Rainbow Dash kind of guy, if you know from what I know of you. Mm, Rainbow Dash. I don't know. I don't know enough about the My Little Ponies to be able to answer that one <laughs> at all. Yeah, legit. I pulled that name out of my ass. That might <laughs> that might not even be a real name for a My Little Pony. It, 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 right. it sounds pretty legit. Just saying. You did good. Uh, 
All right. All right, everyone. <laughs> I'm sorry. Now I'm laughing too hard. All right. <laughs> Let's make sure you got your drinks, everybody. Get your snacks handy. <laughs> because now it's time to discuss the Wizard of Oz. Follow the yellow brick road. 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 Follow, 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 follow the yellow brick road. Follow the yellow brick, follow the yellow brick, follow the yellow brick road. You ought to see the wizard, the wonderful wizard of Oz. You find he is a wizard, a wizard, if ever a wizard was. If ever a so just some fun movie facts before we really dive into this film. This movie was released on August 25th of 1939. This movie is officially the oldest movie that we have ever talked about on Chuck Goes to the Movies at the classic age of 81 years old. So on August 25th of this year, it'll turn 82. And that is just mind-blowing to me. Absolutely mind-blowing. Had an estimated budget of $2.8 million, which was a lot of money back in 1930, you know, back in the 1930s. Did $5.4 million opening weekend and performed... $25.4 million worldwide. Now, there's a caveat to that. That $25.4 million is a total of 11 different theatrical releases during its 81 years. It has made more money as a VHS seller, DVD, Blu-ray seller than it ever made in theaters. So that $25.4 million consists of 11 different worldwide theatrical releases. And that, to me, is insane. I mean, for as old as this movie is and what a classic it is, only $25.4 million brought in from the theater. What are your thoughts on that? If if you ask people about the movie, I think you would be hard-pressed to find folks that haven't seen it, Mm -hmm. which makes that mind-blowing. Uh, it is played a lot on television, which is wonderful, and I, I love that. So that might be the connection. But yeah, no, the, the numbers are super low. But when you look at the release dates, though, you know, 1939, they're just coming out of the Depression. Things are kind of weird, and World War II is ramping up. So uh, the it made a lot more money in the 1949 release mm-hmm. uh, because it kind of has some, like, there's no place like home, a little, you know, nationalistic, like, chest-thumping uh, kind of themes throughout the movie. Uh, so so it did fare better the second time it came around after the war, post-World War II, uh, because of that. But but again, yeah, it's so because it has lasted so long and it has become, I, I would venture to say, one of the most iconic films in American film history. You know, you can't say The Wizard of Oz without, you know, somebody popping off a line or <laughs> talking about the munchkins or do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's just, it's, it's such a big part, but to see the, uh, such a small number associated to that, you know, thinking to like anything in the MCU, you know, has 
has three digits in the millions, you know what I mean? Um, and it was out, you know, yesterday. This thing has been out for freaking almost 100 years, and we're still in two digits. So you kind of wonder, you know, why the disparity, but everybody knows it just like they know the, you know, the MCU. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, like I said, I really feel like you, you actually hit the nail right there on the head. They, they attributed its wide success and uh, known popularity to that the fact that it is played on network television um, yearly, uh, different times of the year and stuff like that. Uh, when it found a life, new life for its 50th anniversary in the VHS um, sector and became one of the hottest selling VHSs of all time. And it's now a huge collector's item. If you go out there and try to find this 50th anniversary edition VHS, it's a crap ton of money. And, um, you know, and it's got Blu-ray. Uh, now it's out on Blu-ray. It's been out on DVD and stuff like that. So uh, that's where it's really uh, been finding its popularity. And uh, also that's where it's been making its money. But I didn't even think about that. You know, looking at the date, 1939. Yes. Uh, I mean, right before World War II. And this just, it came out at the wrong time to be considered very successful in the theaters. Because it, uh, it didn't get a long run. I think it was only in theaters for... Uh, what did I read? Four months? That That's actually a long run for a movie. I don't remember how long it was in theaters, though. Yeah, it, it also had some pretty stiff competition on release because I believe that was the same year time group that Gone with the Wind came out. You're right. So I, I, I think there was there was some, some intense competition, and uh, this was kind of looked at as like a, a kid's movie. If I if I'm remembering correctly, so so the draw, you know, the big dramatic draw would have been to Gone to the Wind, and I think I think we talked about that because that made that made like a ridiculous amount of money for 1939. We did we did talk about Gone with the Wind um, during our uh, history of the movie talk because of how much it impacted film um, at its time. I mean, it if you for adjusted yeah. for. If you adjust it's what it's made for inflation, it is one of the most uh, successful films of um, of all time. Unfortunately, if you look at any list now, it doesn't. Uh, most of those lists don't adjust for uh, adjusted for inflation. So, but Gone with the Wind just it was a cinematic marvel, and it makes me makes me sad that I mean, yes, it talks about some very uh, difficult subjects, you know, slavery, the Civil War, and things like that. And it makes me sad that uh, there are groups out there who want to remove this movie uh, from, you know, circulation and not, uh, they want things removed from the movie or the movie itself uh, removed altogether. I recently rewatched it. Um, I think we talked about this on your show. I recently rewatched it uh, right before uh, uh right before I talked about it with you, I believe. And uh, HBO put a little thing at the beginning of it where, you know, this woman came out and she talked about these things, like, you know, how this movie has these difficult themes, um, you know, depictions of slavery, how uh, people were treated in the South, uh, you know. And she's like, it's absolutely important that we remember that this is what happened in history in the hopes that we don't repeat it. So, but as far as this movie or any of these movies are concerned, these are pieces of art that need to be preserved for what they were. And you, we also need to remember that they do not reflect the ideals of these time periods that they take place in either. They're movies. Sorry. There's my soapbox. Right. 
<laughs> yeah, no, no. Yeah, no, you're you're right on. I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, because if we if we destroy it, we get rid of it. Uh, again, we're just we're revising, you know, uh, things. And <laughs> I think we can all agree. Uh, it was also you can look at that. You know, as far as Gone with Wingos, we're kind of tangenting off of uh, the Wizard of Oz here, but That's okay. you know, uh, Sherman's March to the Sea, uh, which was a brutal assault, um, which is looked at uh, negatively by pretty much everybody that lives in the South. Uh, so, so that that's encompassed in there too. Uh, so there's there's a whole another faction, but you know it, it happened. It's there. It's a thing. Uh, keep it. Just, just you know what I mean. Um, don't watch it if it bothers you. If those things bother you, just watch. It, you know what I mean. Don't. We don't need to burn it. Like that's not a thing. <laughs> Hang on to it. Uh, but but just don't watch it. God bless. There's, there's 1939. There's 20 million movies out there since then. Like, just go watch something else. So, anyway, sorry. No, oh, no. See, this is what I love about I, the I, show. I have to run your with you, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is what I love. I mean, we're so inspired that, you know, we were talking about Wizard of Oz and we ended up on Gone with the Wind. And now we're talking about Please Don't Erase History. This is what I love about this. Um, but, uh, reining it back to, uh, Wizard of Oz here. Um, you're absolutely right. So, you know, it's right there on the cusp of World War II. It's got some heavy competition with another fantastic piece of classic uh, movie making. Uh, but I, I just like On With The Wind, I think Wizard of Oz has stood the test of time. And it has, again, found its following. It found its, uh, you know, its groupies. Um, it, it's a very it's a very lovable movie. And I'll talk about this a little bit later. But, you know, despite all its flaws that you're willing to forgive it for... It is, it's just, it's a very important piece of history in Hollywood and it it needs to be preserved and loved. And in a lot of cases, we need to learn from some of the mistakes they made uh, while making this movie, which again, I will talk about here in a little while. But uh, the final product is I've been enjoying this movie for as long as I can remember and I feel everybody else even if you don't like the movie, you need to see it at least once in your life and appreciate for appreciate it for what it did and what it brought to Hollywood. It revolutionized a lot of the things um, that they do now, especially with practical effects and things like that. Absolutely. I, the, the Technicolor uh, edition was unbelievable and huge. And people, I, you when you watch the first part of the movie, you your brain goes, oh, this is black and white, and then it goes to color. It wasn't in black and white. It's in this, like, weird sepia tone, mm-hmm. um, and which was intentional, and to give it the, the dusty, dirty look. And it, so even from the get-go where you're thinking it was black and white, it wasn't black and white. There was color involved in that as well. And then they just, you know, when, when Dorothy opens the door, there's that reveal that is just holy shit. And I'd stop me if I'm jumping ahead from, from where we're supposed to go along the road. Oh, anyway. you're but, fine. Um, yeah. So, it, but that was, that was huge. And, and technologically it was uh, something new and, and big. And then it was, it's telling a story that was written in 1900. Um, uh, Frank Baum, I believe was the guy who wrote the wizard of Oz yes. initially. And a very different depiction in the book than the movie. Uh, not, not storyline. Storyline's pretty pretty good, uh, but a lot of the things, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about these down the road. But there's, uh, they took a lot of things, uh, liberty uh, with things, mm-hmm. 
specifically uh, items in in the thing that were a different color or that were something and they changed the color from the book to the movie because they had the technicolor capability now and they wanted colors to pop yeah which i thought was was pretty amazing no and uh, you're absolutely right there and we will get to that part as well because uh some of the liberties that the filmmakers decided to take with this movie, again, very forgivable because they created something very iconic in the process without really ruining the true integrity of the story. Uh, case in point, a belt or a pair of ruby slippers. I mean, what is more, uh, what pops more on the screen, a silver belt or a pair of ruby red slippers? But they do the, essentially the same exact thing. You're just taking a power from one thing, transferring it to another. Because you can, because why not make something ruby red that's going to stand out on a screen, right? Because Technicolor is was advanced technology at the time, and they wanted to show it off. And you show it off using bright colors. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And that the, the transition from dusty Kansas to, to beautiful, colorful Oz... It was something that they were able to accentuate, I think, better than uh, than they possibly could have at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, and we we take the color uh, of film for granted. So when they make like an artsy film that's in black and white, we're kind of looking at it, going, "Oh, this is this kind of sucks." <laughs> <laughs> but at the time, you know, that would have been that would have been you know uh, uh, modus operandi for for films. And all of a sudden, you know, to combine the two together, here's. You know, here's what you're used to. Oh, by the way, and and how they did it, uh, how they did it with the door. Uh, I think it was uh, Victor Fleming was the director, right? Yes. Uh, how how he he or popped that with you know as she as she opens the door, you were just immersed in color. Um, so I rewatched today, and I have to tell you, I watched it in high def, mm-hmm. and I was disappointed that I did. I should not have, because high def is incredible, and they've digitally remastered everything. But you can see everything and that's the problem yeah uh so certain details of makeup that i had never noticed before ever for the very first time you know 40 years i've been watching this movie i noticed for the first time i'm like oh i can see that seam or oh i can see this thing over here and like damn it take the high def off shut it off i don't want to watch it in high def (laughs) yeah we got to be careful with these older films and high definition because these films weren't made with the idea that uh, we were going to be able to see it with such clarity eventually uh, down the line. So, I mean, yeah, you know, their makeup techniques have changed, their uh, effects techniques have changed, staging, everything has changed so much to accommodate for the fact that uh, movies are a lot more clear now. And it, you're basically immersed into something that feels so real nowadays versus back then. So, yeah, it, watching a movie like this in high def, like, I don't own this movie on Blu ray because I specifically told myself that this is not a movie worth owning on Blu ray. Because of that very reason right there, high def, just I don't feel like it would uh, do this film any justice. So I watch it on DVD. DVD is about as high def as I want it to go because it still maintains a lot of its structure and it doesn't um, it doesn't uh, ruin the illusion too much for me. Yeah. Yeah, I was uh, I wasn't disappointed. Like it didn't upset me. And I wasn't, you know, uh, I, I still watched it. I remember uh, I still loved what I loved about it. I still uh, you know, laughed at what I laughed at. I've always laughed at, but it was just one of those things where all of a sudden, uh, one of the, the things that I noticed first was the scarecrow's makeup. Yeah. Uh, so I never realized that they did a burlap design on his face. 
I never have I never noticed those those lines before. Right? It was just always it seemed to be just a solid color that went down to like the the burlap bag that was around his neck. Mm-hmm. But no, they they did. They had like legit the the, the checkered pattern on his face, which was I, I, again super cool. I'd never noticed that before, but uh, but because of the high def, and then you could also see some other stuff. But but that was the very first thing. I was like, why are there lines on his face? <laughs> oh, they're supposed to be. There. Okay, that's intentional. Shit. <laughs> Okay, well, um, I never uh, thought about that either. Uh, maybe I should just give it a try in high def once, just to see it from that uh, perspective. And so, oh, no, you're shaking your head. Don't do it. Okay, <laughs> I'll take your word for it. Yeah, yeah, no, don't, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. That, yeah, that was like the one of two cool things, and then like seven like oh sad things. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, then, never mind. I will remove it from my uh, watch list. Um. So, on Rotten Tomatoes, I like to always go and look and see how people love this movie or love these movies and stuff like that. So, it has a 99% critic rating on Rotten Tomatoes, certified fresh, which means a majority of the ratings are all positive. It has an 89% audience rating. So, that is actually the thing that caught my eye. Like, it's an impressive 99% critic rating. 89% audience rating and i'm just like okay that's still a high score but that's a that's a 10 percent difference like so why are why where's the disconnect with our audience members here and what critics are saying so i took the opportunity to take some screenshots of these audience reviews and i want to share them real quick so (laughs) this first one um This is written by a guy named Charlie H. On January 29th of this year, he gave it a half a star. So 0.5 out of five stars. And he said this, and I quote, Simply a boring, not fun movie. This movie is extremely boring and no quote unquote magic is fun to see. Really, the acting, plot, and graphics are boring. I would not recommend you see this boring, dull movie. You have to endure an hour and 30 minutes of boringness. There is no action, and the cowardly lion slash tin man are quite poorly made slash acting out. Quote, unquote, follow the brick road is a political sign with others, too. Should you see this? No, a boring, prolonged movie is too much for me to handle. End his review. Charlie can fuck off because uh, he's probably 12 and uh, that's not a thing. So obviously he has no concept of time because if you're going to talk about the graphics being poor in the Wizard of Oz, it was made in 1939. There weren't TVs and houses yet, you dumbass. Like, so so right off the get go, I I don't like Charlie H. He's he's. He's an asshole. No, I know. I absolutely um, agree. And but he that 0.5 star, you know, contributes to bringing down that audience rating. So that's that was one of the first bad ones I came across when I was skimming through the ratings. And I'm just like, oh, man, I had to share this. This next one, though, this next uh, review that I wrote or uh, that I took a screenshot of uh, actually is 
it's not a it's not a new discussion. It happens every time where you start talking about uh, witches, witchcraft, and things like that. So I wanted to bring it up and see what uh, we thought about it here. So this one is from a woman named Kelly C. She wrote this on November 12th of 2020, and she had this to say, and I quote, We are not particularly happy with teaching children there are good witches and bad witches, with an alleged distinction between their intent. Witchcraft is an abomination to the Lord, and allegedly consulting demons for power renders the distinction somewhat misleading, since demons do not authentically help human beings in the plain meaning of the word. This movie can be completely analyzed and framed in narcissism and is often used to discuss it. Flying monkeys in the movie, for example, may reference those inflicting abuse by proxy at the command of someone not unlike the jealous wicked witch. Notice Dorothy did not do anything wrong. The old witch was just jealous and wanted those ruby red slippers. Generally speaking, it did not appear to be about dollars. End review. Never mind that Dorothy killed her sister. Right. <laughs> and she wanted the memento of the slippers. All right, Karen. But what does it have to do with the movie? It, it really doesn't have anything to do with the movie. It's more of a personal view on this fictitious idea. Uh, well, I guess it's not fictitious. I mean, you know, uh, witchcraft, I, I don't know. It depends on what you want to believe. Does witchcraft actually exist or not? You know, there are witches out there. Uh, there are covens out there and things like that. There there are entire re- quote-unquote religions built around this. But, uh, you know, Satanism, uh, whatever you want to believe, I'm not here to sit here and have a religious discussion. But what I am here to say is that this is a fantasy world, okay? There are... Don't look at it as there are good witches and there are bad witches. Look at it as an analogy to our there are good people and there are bad people. There is good, there is evil, there is light, there is dark. It is the most common analogy in any freaking fictional story. They just happen to associate it with good and bad and witches. And it's not even like witches in the sense of witches. They're not... Yeah, she does conjure up a little potion and some spells and makes them fall asleep in a poppy field, but they probably would have fallen asleep in the poppy field anyway because of what the poppies do. But, but, I just, I get so tired of, you know, I grew up in a religious background, and I just get so tired of people not willing to embrace these fantasy stories because they involve witchcraft, you know? Let's not embrace The Wizard of Oz or the simple fact that it teaches a lot of great stories to our kids. Let's not embrace things like Harry Potter. Again, you know, the whole battle of good versus evil and stuff like that and how you can be humble. It talks about facing death and ever, all these other, all these wonderful things that we need to learn about in life, but you don't want to embrace it because it involves witchcraft. We don't want to watch Lord of the Rings because it involves witchcraft. Guys, It's called fantasy, and you can spin the story in any way, shape, or form in your head that you want it to, to match whatever belief or opinion you want it to be, okay? You just got to understand, it's a story. And if you don't want to watch the movie, you know how to pick up a remote and hit that channel up button or that power off button, okay? It's as simple as that. No need to leave a bad review because you don't like the fact that it has witchcraft in it.
and soapbox number two. So, yeah, no, I, I well, as you step off, I'm going to step on. So we here, we're, we're right close to Salem mm-hmm. and uh, we love Salem and we go hang out there. And obviously the late 17th century, you know, the, the Salem witch trials mm-hmm. is a big thing. And what's crazy is they have the history of witches and what we think of when we think of a witch, right? We think of the pointy hat. We think of the broom. We think of the big nose. We think of, um, you know, the green face. Yeah. Right. So when we think of witches now, this is the, the coolest thing. Prior to Frank Baum writing the Wizard of Oz, none of that imagery existed. Yeah. He wrote what we believe or what we conceive anyway as 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 witches. And then the green because the witch in in the book that he wrote was not green. He, you know, Hollywood added the green because it was, again, a pop color for the Technicolor thing. So which is prior to 1939 were not green. Yeah. And now you see it in cartoons. You see it in, you know, the Halloween masks. You see it everywhere because of this movie. And so for somebody to go on a rant about the, the good and bad and the witches and this and that and the other, I, you know, stop. You know, this this movie literally built what you know about witches probably you know and and, and witchcraft the, the whole religious side of the thing like how where that plays out uh it it has nothing to do with this movie exactly you know they're they're not citing you know pagan rituals they're not doing anything she grabs some red powder she puts it in a cup she mixes it up she rubs it on a crystal ball and they go take a nap for an hour like <laughs> calm down they got hot needed to go to sleep <laughs> <Yeah>. just stop <laughs> just stop <laughs> worst thing she gave them a buzz yeah, you know? it, i mean there's and guess what at the end of the sp- but they're gonna be the same ones that put their kids down in front of a world war ii movie that shows freaking people getting you know uh, uh, brutally killed in in the the bane of war, and they're gonna be like, oh, that's this is historic and this is cool. Well, uh, calm down, like you know, the, the moral ambiguity is where I get I get super shitty about that. Just 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 stop. Yeah, you know? it, it, it's important as you as a parent to sit there and also help your children decipher what is real, what is not real, and things like that. You know, so and it's okay to. It's okay to have an imagination too, you know. That's a wonderful thing about these fantasy stories, you know. Frank L. Baum, uh, J.R.R. T- uh, you know, Tolkien, uh, J.K. Rowling, all of those people—they help. They want to bring those real life scenarios or those real life ideas, but they introduce it in a fantasy world and engage the imagination and allow children to help them understand these themes and stuff like that. But then that's where we as parents got to step in, you know. It's just like case in point, my son. Unfortunately, I, I don't know how serious he actually thinks this. Uh, he thinks I'm a wizard because <laughs> I have a wand from uh, Ollivander's, you know, and uh, and I showed it to him. He was Harry Potter this last year for Halloween. And I showed him my wand and I said, and he wanted to play with it. I was like, no, this is a real wand. You can't touch it yet. And just truth be told, it's an expensive wand and I don't want him to break it. But uh, I said, this is a real wand. You know, daddy's got to use this to cast all his spells and stuff like that. And he asked when he was going to get his real wand. So I'm just like, when you're 11, duh, you've seen Harry Potter, you know, when he got his wand. So he's, he cannot <laughs> wait till he's 11 so he can go get his real wand. And so now I'm having to backpedal. I'm like, okay, here I was having fun with him and stuff like that. But now I, I also got to remember my son takes everything literally. So I was just like, 
this is this is not real. This is a fake world and stuff like that. It's great that you want to embrace it. It's great that you want to have fun with it, just like I have fun with it. I've been having fun with it since I was in high school. But it's it's not real. It's not a real thing. And that's where we as parents need to step in. So if my son sat down and watched The Wizard of Oz, which I plan on sitting down and watching with him, uh, having him watch it with me soon, and, you know, he's got questions or ideas about the bad witch, good witch, things like that, I'm not going to sit there and be like, witchcraft's the devil. I'm going to be like, son, you've got to understand the story it's telling. And it's just that classic story of good versus evil. And there are good people out there and there are evil people out there. And if you make it all the way through till the end of the movie, guess who gets their comeuppance? The bad witch. She's vanquished by the goodness, by the light. Well, by the water, but still she is vanquished. And that that's, there's the story right there. It doesn't matter that she's a witch. What matters is that she acted in such a way and had such these flawed ideals that it led to her demise. So guess what that teaches you? Don't be her. Remove the witch. The story doesn't change. They just made it a witch because it's something yeah. fantasy. And I, there should be no reliance on... Hollywood or film to impart uh, morality on your kids, you know, like that's that's not a no. thing. Um, and, and and that was never a thing. So my my dad has been a pastor since 1986, 1987. So grew up in the mm-hmm. church, uh, and they had some weird rules, right? There were some weird things that we couldn't watch and we could watch. Uh, Wizard of Oz was never one of them. You know what I mean? We we watched this religiously every single year. It was a thing when it came on TV. We would get together, sit down. And that was that was the thing. The night that it played, that was that was our night. And I think it was around Christmas time, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, maybe not, but anyway. But that was, you know. So so here's a man of the church himself, you know, and and he wasn't because he taught us, uh, you know, right from wrong, and then also taught us the free will, uh, the ability ability to choose, yeah. educate yourself, uh, choose, you know. Um, whatever, you know, you can't, I'm not going to force you on the, to this belief system or these morals. And he was really awesome about that because you hear, uh, the hard, uh, other side of that story where folks grow up in the church and it's kind of impressed upon them, you know, the choice was always ours and, you know, uh, to being parents, they did monitor and a limit, you know, we weren't able to watch RoboCop. When we were five, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, so if there's, if there's a reliance on, on Hollywood film or television to, to help you impart morality on your kids. Uh, it, it shouldn't, it shouldn't, uh, that shouldn't be a thing, but teach their own, I guess. No, I, I 100% agree. And, uh, I, I love the fact that you brought that up that your dad, um, you know, was involved or, you know, was a pastor, right? Is that what you said? Pastor? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, um, yep. My uncle is a pastor as well. And my aunt who I'm going to talk about here in a moment, a uh, huge wizard of Oz fan, um, huge. And, you know, so I, I remember watching this movie with her and stuff like that. And never once did it ever come up, you know, in conversation or ideas that like, you know, Hey, you, we shouldn't be watching this or, you know, this, this is not a good moral or anything like that. No, it never came that way because, you know, I, well, she's an intelligent woman and I'd like to think of myself as an intelligent person. So I, we can decipher the fact that it is again, I, I feel like a broken record, just fantasy. And 
we can we can take away the good from the story no matter what that story is or who it involves now maybe if it was the wizard of oz featuring the wicked satan of the west now we might be talking something a little bit different here but it wasn't that way um (laughs) at all right um no no, not at all Uh, i've got one more one more uh audience review and then we can actually move on to the meat and potatoes of this movie um so this one is written by somebody named harry d I really hope that's not a joke. Um, <laughs> I just realized it after reading the name out loud. Already, already. Yeah, I, I like this guy already, despite what he says about the movie. I'm, I'm a fan. Of that. Uh, so he wrote this back on March 29th of 2020, um, and he gave it two and a half stars. So this is the highest rated one of the ones I picked. Uh, I don't know, but I, oh, Kelly gave it three, so never mind. So she gave it more. Harry D gave it two and a half, and this is what he has to say, and I quote. At times, it can be quite uncomfortable to watch as the songs are a bit awkward and badly sung, and the characters make big assumptions that happen to be true, and you can see the pyrotechnics, such as uh, when the witch at the start evaporates in red smoke and fire. However, the story is fun and a great one for a family. So... I wanted to highlight that one because it touched on the pyrotechnics right there. And you had already kind of said it uh, earlier. It's like, this film is 1939, guys. You know, a lot of these practical effects that they were using were advanced practical effects. So not everything is going to be perfect. And there's actually a sad story behind the pyrotechnics at that particular scene that he's referencing in the reviews. Uh, Poor Margaret Hamilton. Uh, We'll get there in a little bit. But I mean... These are advanced things, and I think they did a fantastic job considering the time and the effort that went into these movies. There's no. uh, Did you expect Avengers Endgame, guys? Even the even the special effects in that wasn't perfect. Just saying. You're absolutely right, and uh, we look at the date though, so I I give him a little bit of a break uh, because March 29th, uh, we were in second week of lockdown, so there probably wasn't much left for him to watch on Netflix <laughs> and he had to go uh, make a move somewhere else into some unknown territory. And, uh, and of course everything on Netflix is new and freaking super great digitally, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. uh, so, so, uh, it, that just sounds, and, and then for him to say this singing was not good. Um, you, you have, <laughs> you have a major cast uh, of Broadway <laughs> singing like folks like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. Harry D you, I got it. <laughs> Unless he's a, you know, Broadway performer himself. Uh, I, I'm going to take that one and kind of dismiss the singing comments. But, but yeah, that's it, it's so funny to watch people's reactions. And I, I wish there was more demographic information so you could see um, you could see age, you could see experience, you could see, you know, uh, is this their first experience with the Wizard of Oz? Do they not know the backstory? I take it for granted because I grew up. With yeah. It. So I'm kind of biased that way. I have that that just confirmation bias that this is a great thing because it means something to me personally. But and I don't remember what I thought the first time I watched it. I may have thought those exact same things like, what the hell am I watching? This is stupid. <laughs> um but, you know, it, over time, it became a thing. It became a thing for, for me personally. So it's, I, I take that with a grain of salt. But the, the people who are creating, you know, if you're if you're comparing Wizard of Oz and anything made in the 2000 era, you're <laughs> you need to stop because it's it's not. A thing. Yeah, it, it just doesn't work that way. And I thought the same thing, too, when he talked about you know, like the singing and stuff like that. I'm like, 
boy, I really hope he's not talking about Judy Garland here because she was one of the best singers to ever exist in the world. And like you said, there were Broadway performers and people who have been doing this for years. And you're telling me that uh, they are bad singers. Uh, man, I can't wait to hear your album when it comes out. Harry D sings the classics. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the... <laughs> uh, I, I wanted to <laughs> highlight those because... Uh, one, it just talks about the power that we as uh, viewers of movies or television shows uh, have uh, influence, influencing not just other people, but um, scores and uh, things like that. You know, so 89% audience rating, a majority of what I was reading through were five-star ratings and stuff like that, but it's just these few bad eggs that come in there. It's like, uh, you know, it's like a... Like podcast ratings, I don't know if I really want to go there, but you know, there's always the one who's like, "Ah, oh, I'm going to give him two stars." I think his sound quality is bad. His content's great. He's funny, but his sound quality is bad. That didn't actually happen to me. That happened to somebody else, and I'm not going to mention who. But I just wanted to say, you know, it's like those. The that just shows the power that people have over your product. I mean, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Movies are art and they are in the eye of the beholder. It's very subjective. You know, I'm going to view something one way and obviously Harry D. Kelly and whoever the other person was, I already forgot their name, uh, saw it and saw something completely different. And we all have different, differing opinions about it. But those few, just those three alone contributed to lowering a master score. And it just, it, it blows my mind. It baffles me. It really does. You almost would think... Uh, they would take out the because you got to you got to have that balance right to get like a true to get a true score. Yeah. So you're going to take out the bottom five. You're going to take out the top five. Right. You're going to take out the people who praise the movie because they're associated with the movie. So you got to get rid of those. And then the people who are, you know, the half star rating. Uh, oh, this movie was black and white when it started. Erase that one. You know what I mean? To get to get that capture of, of the real rating. And I would guess it would go up. Probably if you did that, mm -hmm. even with taking out the top, you know, the the top ones that are movie theater folks doing this, you know, it, it would it would probably go up into the 92, 93 range would be my guess. Yeah. And to me, that seems yeah, a little bit more realistic. The few reviews that you did. Yeah. Yeah. No, the 10 percent disparagement doesn't make sense. It's because you've got, you know, a bunch of Internet trolls that are going on and just dropping stuff. Where's uh, uh what's his name? Where's freaking uh, where are the dudes from Dogma? Jason Smith and uh, Jay and Silent Bob. Oh, oh, where, where yeah. Need him um, to go visit to go visit these people's homes and beat the shit out of them. Yeah. <laughs> Glad you mentioned Dogma. Such Are you a fancy. Harry D on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Searching for you, Harry D. If you happen to be listening to this, uh, be warned. Be warned. Um, and then finally. Uh, before we dive into uh, the first uh, category of discussion, I did want to say that this movie did win two Oscars, uh, one for best music, uh, you know, or best score, and the other one for best song. Can you guess what song that is? I'll give you a hint. It's Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Oh, wait, that's the answer. Somewhere Over the Rainbow won the Oscar for this and. Can you believe that producers actually almost cut it from the film because they thought it was too depressing? Right. And so they had to, they ended up having to chop like 
a, a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, that was on the docket to go. And it was also one of the last things filmed. Yeah. Which was weird. Uh, so it was one of the last things to get put in, uh, put into the film, and then almost one of the one of the things that didn't make it. And where would we be if there was not somewhere over the rainbow? It's. It, I mean, it's absolutely hard to believe. I mean, it's one of the most iconic songs in the history of movies. I guess I have no idea, really. I mean, it's in. I, I'll go into a tangent on this later, but I mean, it really is. It's influenced so many artists. It's uh, been redone several times. And it's, it's just one of those things like, sure, it probably still would have been the Wizard of Oz without this song, but I think that's what makes this movie even greater, is that this song, it came with this just catchy, iconic, just beautiful song that Judy Garland got to belt out, and trust me, she's a belter. It's awesome. We wouldn't have known any different. We wouldn't have known any different, but I don't want to live in that world. Yeah, yeah, so it would have... Yeah, no, me neither. Me neither. I, I'm not a fan of that at all. Yeah. Not a fan of that. If you all. believe in the multiverse. I'm, I'm glad they kept it. Yeah. If you believe in the multiverse and that there are other Earths out there, there is an Earth that exists <laughs> where somewhere over the rainbow doesn't exist. And I don't ever want to be on that Earth ever. Um, And then one little caveat. So uh, there is technically, not technically, but there is a third Oscar associated with this movie, even though it's not associated with this movie. Uh, it should be noted that Judy Garland did win an Oscar. At the 1940 Oscars, um, while this movie won two Oscars at that same award show, her Oscar was called the Juvenile Award, and it recognized outstanding performance as a screen juvenile during the previous year. So, there were two movies that Judy Garland appeared in in 1939. One of them was The Wizard of Oz. The second one was called Babes in Arms with Mickey Rooney. Now, here's the interesting part. Mickey Rooney was actually nominated for Best Actor Oscar for that movie. He did not win. But he was nominated for a Best Actor. Not a juvenile one. A Best Actor. Tell me how this makes any sense. How old was Mickey Rooney when he did that, though? Because I have a feeling he he was probably older. You know what? I, I was good. She was what? She was 16, right? Yeah, and I was going to go look she this was 15 up. or 16? And I never got around to it. Hold on. So now I'm curious. Babes in Arms. Not Babes in Toyland. All right. So Judy Garland was born in 1922 when Mickey Rooney was born in 1920. So there's a two-year difference between them. Oh, yeah. So so he wasn't that much older. Maybe he wasn't a juvenile and maybe he didn't qualify for the juvenile award. That's actually a very interesting point. Hmm. But yeah, so... I really think I've seen Babes in Arms, and I really think that she got that juvenile Oscar for Wizard of Oz, not Babes in Arms. Just saying. Uh, Well, that leads us to our first question of our movie discussion. So how has this movie impacted your life or influenced your love of other movies if it has done either of those things? So uh, I grew up in a, you know, my folks are both theater majors, so I we grew up in musical theater and uh, this hello Dolly and white Christmas. So wizard of Oz, hello Dolly and white Christmas are three films that I can remember always being present in my childhood. So the impact on my life, um, the, these are the foundation in which my love for musical theater uh, was built and, and it, it owns 
a third of that. So really the the drive to to appreciate musical theater and and all this came from uh you know watching this movie this was one of the big three that when it was every year we watched it every single year we owned hello dolly so we watched that quite often but uh but wizard of oz and and white christmas and i and i I remember them being right around the same time uh but that's that's where it is and the influence for me i don't think it's been an influence to love movies uh specifically because i love uh musical theater whether it's on the stage or whether it's on the big screen uh, it's all the same to me. So I would say it has bolstered and, and built my appreciation of folks who can act, sing, dance all simultaneously uh, and, a, and a massive appreciation because I cannot do any of those things individually. <laughs> they can do them all at once. They are my heroes. So. Well said. Well said. And damn you listed some good movies there all right so you already know how i love white christmas white christmas is one of my favorite christmas movies of all time and a great musical but god hello dolly yes i love hello dolly that's how i met you yes that is how yeah that is exactly it i did the white christmas episode and you reached out to me afterwards i was i remember that but oh my god hello dolly ah i love love that movie it is so fantastic of a movie uh, but um, damn! Now I want to go watch Hello Dolly. Mm. Anyway, uh, no, you you won't be sad. No, no, no. You won't be sad. Definitely won't be sad. And believe it or not, it's on Disney Plus for those of you all who are interested in wanting to know that. Uh, I love that. I I really love that answer. Um, for me, I've been watching this movie for as long as I can remember. Honestly. Um, not only is it one of my favorite classic musicals, it's just, it's always stunning to watch. Uh, you know, you talked about, you know, when it goes from that black and white, uh, you know, sepia to full technicolor, bam, right in your face. I just fell into a box of Crayolas. It's so, it's just even 81 years later, it's such a stunning visual thing to watch. We had this on the VHS tape. Like, so we had the 50th, uh, we had. I can't say have anymore, had the 50th anniversary edition of this tape. And, uh, you know, it had that bonus material at the end. So it was like 18 to 20 minutes worth of bonus material where they talked about the the making of the movie a little bit. Uh, they showed a clip of Judy Garland accepting her Oscar. Um, that uh, famous dance scene that got cut from the movie. Just all these different little things at the end of the movie. They even had that... Uh, two minute like intro at the beginning which was was believe it or not a downy fabric softener commercial about the kids in the house putting on the wizard of oz play for their parents um do you remember have you ever seen that it is sparking memory like i cannot say i i specifically recall like every part and piece of that but i i remember i i must have seen it because it it i am having recollections yeah but not specific ones. Does that make no, sense? No, no, that <laughs> that makes perfect sense. And uh, yeah. go to YouTube. It's on there. I had to, I watched it this morning just, you know, because okay. I, I had these memories of it, but I didn't remember the full video. So I'm just, I found it on YouTube. I'm like, oh, yes. Now that's exactly it. That's exactly what I remember. Uh, but, you know, all those all those little things that were so clever, we, we wore out this videotape. I, I swear. My parents always said that I the first videotape I wore out, or actually the first two videotapes I wore out were E.T., which I actually can't stand that movie now. 
I really can't. There's something about that movie that bothers me now. But um, the second movie that I wore out, apparently, and I still don't believe them on this, I think they just exaggerate a lot, is The King and I, which is another favorite musical of mine. I love The King and I. Um, yes. Oh, my God. Yes. It's such a fantastic yeah. movie uh, uh i i don't own it on a physical disc anymore or anything like that but i do have it on my amazon account and uh i'll i'll put it on every once in a while just so i and just uh my favorite thing about uh on a little tangent here my favorite thing about the king and i is when they put on uh the play uncle tom's cabin i i was always fascinated by that sequence in that movie i i love the music i love the dancing uh the way that they made it all uh the way that they uh translated it all to their culture and everything it was i just thought it was thought it was well done anyway coming bringing it back so um that 50th anniversary, so that 50th anniversary tape that we had, it, it just, as I was sitting here thinking about it, it, made, it brought back a lot of memories. And uh, I just wanted to say that some of the things that it did feature on there was it to talk about uh, how they used that uh, Technicolor print um, and why they used that warm sepia tone on the, the Kansas scenes. It also uh, had... Um, like I said, the, uh, that famous scarecrow dance that they ended up uh, cutting from the film, as well as the jitterbug um, production number that they originally planned for the film as well that got cut. Uh, they talked about uh, how Buddy Epson was the original Tim Man, and they even showed him in uh, like the original makeup and stuff like that before uh, he got recast. Um, but... You can actually still hear Buddy Epson singing in parts of the soundtrack um, for the role of the Tim Man, and not uh, not who replaced him. He was almost he was almost doing recording. Yeah, yeah, and then unfortunately he suffered from uh, yeah. what was that po uh, lead poisoning? It was something involving his makeup, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, so they were using makeup. Yeah, so it was a powdered aluminum makeup that they were putting on his face, and he ingested some of it, and it got into his lungs. Uh, and he had he spent a bunch of time in the hospital and uh, it got messed up. But the the makeup causing damage to people uh, is is kind of a common theme. Hopefully we, we talk about that a little bit later. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. All right. Uh, but yeah, no, that was he he had to bow out because he got that he breathed in and he always he attested that he never did. It's like I, I I never breathed in. I never did it. I never did it. But at some point in time he must have gotten some because that was. Blood was in his lungs and it messed him up pretty that, bad. That's scary, but I mean, there's a lot of things about this production that is actually scary. Some of the some of these people shouldn't have been alive after the making of this movie, but uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, but there, one of the other things I remember about this VHS tape was the fact that there was also this little booklet that came with it. And I remember when we would pop the VHS in and be watching the movie, I'd have this little booklet with me flipping through it, reading about it. It had the song lyrics in it, said sing along and stuff like that, you know, somewhere over the rainbow. But um, I loved it. And that it just it's one of those happy memories in my life. And then fast forward to like when I uh, when I uh, was done with middle school and started going to high school, we moved from Texas to Florida. And so for a while, I was living with my aunt and uncle and, you know, referencing back to her again, she's this huge Wizard of Oz fan. She's got the memorabilia from the film at home and stuff like that. And she has a wealth of knowledge about these Oz stories and things. And it's, you know, 
that's where it's really had that huge impact on my life. It's become such an important part of uh, my life. Uh, and as far as having a major influence on it, it's just, uh, it's really influenced, it's continued to influence my love of musicals and classics and things like that. And continuing to explore this world in other movies that have come since then, uh, you know, 47 years after this one, the unofficial sequel uh, to this movie came out, Return to Oz, which I love this movie. I grew up watching this movie too, and it, that's on Disney Plus now, and I rewatched it uh, a couple of months ago, and I'm just like, this movie is still fantastic in my mind. Uh, but, you know, uh, these stories have inspired other adaptations of um, the stories, and uh, I, I even... I don't like James Franco as an actor, but I like his version of um, The Great and Powerful Oz. I thought that was a beautifully done movie. Um, just, I'm not a big fan of him, uh, personally or professionally. I'm not a so good. It's still, it's a fantastic oh, movie. It's... Fantastic. Uh, so, you know, it's just, it's so... It me, influences me to continue to love these movies, to be a kid at heart, and to embrace these fantasy, you know, worlds that I hope to one day be able to embrace with my children and then their children and so on and so forth. Because we got to keep this art alive, guys. We got to keep these fantasy worlds working. Otherwise, what's the point? I agree. I agree. I to touch on the the great and powerful. I was super like skeptical when I went in to watch that, and I watched it in the theater. Uh, so I was I was nervous. I was like, man, if they fuck up the Wizard of Oz, <laughs> uh, but but they didn't. They did such a great job with that movie mm -hmm. and how they they change. They didn't change the story, but they how they acted out the story and. I love where film is going now because you're taking all these classic old tales and you're spinning them into a different view, into a different point of view. So we're not looking at this helpless little girl from Kansas anymore. We're looking at the development of, you know, Alphaba of the, the, the Wicked Witch of the West. Where did she come yeah. from? You know, how did she get there? Why is she green? You know, all of those things, the backstories, the different stories and uh, are coming into play. And one of my all-time favorite musicals ever is Wicked, which is the story of Glinda and Alphaba growing up as kids. And and you know what I mean? Um, uh, Dorothy is worked into that story, but in a, not in the way you would think. And it, it, it's wonderful. And I, I absolutely adore how we're taking these old stories and we're telling them from different points of view and different angles. I, I think of Maleficent mm, mm -hmm. tells a completely different story of Sleeping Beauty, but it's, uh, I'm not a big fan of Sleeping Beauty. You know, it, it always had a real, like uh, a salty kind of vibe. For me because, like, <laughs> chick's sleeping, dude. Don't go make out with her. She's asleep. Like, that's gross. Don't, what are you doing? Like, don't do that. Um, but then, you know, they completely retell the story uh, and, you know, true love we, we have that picture of the prince and the princess. We never think of it in a paternal kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. and, and, and Disney freaking hit a home run. They kind of missed on the sequel, but, uh, but the story like Maleficent was, was amazing. And, and the wizard of Oz has done that. There's been a couple of those, the great and powerful Oz. And then, you know, the, the Broadway show uh, wicked tells a story and that was written uh, based off of a book who I'm trying to find the author because I know it's not cool to, 
cite something without knowing the author. I'm working. <laughs> no, you're absolutely fine. Believe it or not, I've never even seen or heard the soundtrack to Wicked, and that's that's on me. That is on me. But but if memory serves, we now have to completely redefine our friendship. Oh no. <laughs> I have the book right here in my office. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, and uh, the author you're looking for is Gregory McGuire. Uh, I bought the book years ago, intending to read it, and I yet to ever pick it up. It's just been sitting here in my guest room uh, slash office. It's super dark. Like, super dark. So it's uh, it's intense. And then... The adaptation for Broadway uh, definitely dialed down the intensity of the book, but uh, the book is still still absolutely wonderful. You know, because I've never actually read the book. Obviously, I've never really opened it up or anything, but I, I never realized it included pictures from the actual musical itself. And look, I found... Is that Adina... I always say her name wrong. Adina I, Menzel. Yeah. Adina Menzel. Uh, Yep, Kristen Chenoweth was the original uh, uh, Glinda. Uh, it ha- it had a hell of oh, a. Oh, I cat. see that. Yeah, there she is, right uh, there. The original Broadway cast. Yeah, Un- unbelievable. Huh? What an interesting cast. Uh, I I I heard they're trying to make, or they are currently making this into a movie right now, with the original Broadway cast. So, um, I think. Shut up! Seriously, I thought I had read that somewhere. That would be incredible. I guess that'll be my chance to finally see it. Because who knows when I'm ever going to go to another stage production. Yeah, it is one of the few shows that's coming back uh, to Broadway, nice. for sure. That got, uh, that list came out, so if you find yourself in New York City, <laughs> swing over. And if you do go, give me a call. I'll come down and join you, because that's one of my favorite all-time, all-time musicals. So I've always wanted to go to New York City. And my wife doesn't want to go back. She's been before. And so I've never gone. All right. Well, if, if, if you need a mandate, <laughs> give me a ring. It's, it's a four-hour train ride. I'll, I'll be there. That's not how you... I love this city. Uh, yeah, I've always wanted to go. It's, all, it's like it's uh, on my bucket list of cities to, you know, visit. And I just, uh, I hope to get there uh, one of these... Days. Okay, so according to uh, IMDb, which, you know, sometimes is good, sometimes is not, uh, it's still in pre-production, Wicked is, for the actual movie adaptation, so, we'll see. You got me all excited. (laughs) Uh, But, uh, yeah, yeah, so uh, that... You're uh, you're absolutely right. I didn't even think about Wicked uh, as far as uh, how it inspires um, other adaptations or other uh, stories beyond the already existing book. So that's another thing too. Like I was just looking at my book pile in here. We're getting ready to like move our entire house around. So I'm moving my studio upstairs and stuff. So I have everything sitting in boxes over here. And I just happened to look down while I was looking for Wicked that I knew was in there. I actually forgot that I have some of the old Oz books in there, like the old hardback books that my parents handed down to me uh, that they used to read to me as a kid and stuff like that. So there's just, that's how much the story beyond just the movies 
has impacted a lot of people's lives and stuff like that. It's just, it was an important part of my childhood. I remember my mom reading these stories to me, doing all the little voices and everything like that. And it's just, these are good memories. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about this amazing cast. There's not a whole lot of big people to talk about with this amazing cast, okay. but it is, uh, it's an amazing cast. Uh, you know, obviously starting off with our leading star here, uh, Judy Garland playing the role of Dorothy Gale. So Judy Garland, very well known. Obviously, she's been in a lot of great movies. Um, you know, Wizard of Oz, Meet Me in St. Louis. Uh, even she even pops up in some interesting things like uh, Judgment at Nuremberg. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, I remember that. Um, it's been years since I've seen that movie, but I remember her having a pretty significant role in that movie. Uh, Judgment at Nuremberg. Oh, God, what year was that? Let's see. That was uh, 1961. No, 1961. Oh, yeah, Uh, yeah, you know, Spencer Tracy, Burt Lancaster, just such an amazing uh, cast of people. And it's it's a very hard film to watch. Um, Yeah, very hard film to uh, watch. I mean, it it was based off of, obviously, a true story of what happened after World War II. Uh, But... um, such a wonderful uh, uh, film. But I mean, you know, A Star is Born. Don't forget her adaptation of that either, where she played uh, Esther in that movie as well. Uh, a Star is Born from uh, 1954. Uh, so, I mean, she's just been around forever. And of course, she had a tragic ending, uh, unfortunately. Uh, and she is survived by. Uh, I don't remember how many children now, but obviously the only one I really remember is Liza Minnelli. I don't know if you know this, but so uh, I think it was Jack Haley who plays the Woodman or the the Tin Man. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, So Liza Minnelli and Jack Haley's son, who has name I forget, I believe they ended up getting married. No, really? Yeah. No, seriously. Wow. Uh, Yeah. I'm almost positive. It It was Jack Haley's son and Judy Garland's daughter. Uh, but in the seventies, ended up getting married. I am. Lo- you are absolutely right. Yeah, married Jack yeah. Haley Jr. September fifteenth, in nineteen seventy four. They weren't married very long. <laughs> As per with Liza Minnelli, I believe. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. The um, looking at just her little background here the longest marriage she had was her first one peter allen from 1967 to 1974 but um wow okay wow i did not know that that's pretty awesome man judy garland was young when she had liza minnelli liza was born in 1946 damn that yeah that was seven years later after this so she would yeah she was in her 20s yeah well okay i guess i was in my 20s too whatever anyway um but uh, <laughs> uh, uh, it seems so long ago, you know. But um, oh, I mean, we haven't been in our twenties in a long time, so it would make sense. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I I don't know about you. I'm still 29. <laughs> I never wanted to enter my 30s. Hmm. Yes, I have been. <laughs> yeah, I have been for the last 11 years. <laughs> 
but uh, you know, Judy Garland, uh, taking it back to her, you know, she did have her unfortunate tragic ending, uh, but all, has never really left anybody's hearts or minds and stuff like that. And that's been so true all the way up to just in the last recent years where Renee Zellweger took on the very, very interesting opportunity to play Judy Garland in the movie Judy, and she ended up winning an Oscar for it. I've yet to actually see the movie because Renee Zellweger annoys the hell out of me. But I, uh, oh, I guess really? I need to sit down and watch it. Man, her her Jerry Maguire role was like, she, like that's number two for me. It's, it was Alicia Keys, and then her is you know Jerry Maguire's freaking secretary. It, it's a nice role and everything like that. I I don't know. There's just I, I, she's never done anything for me. Like even in Chicago, and I love Chicago. And don't get me wrong, I think she did a good job in Chicago. But she's not what I watch Chicago for. Uh, I like Catherine Zeta Jones. Uh, and Queen Latifah, just saying. So you know that's what I'm sure. watching Chicago for. She she does tend to be a little bit nasally and uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and honestly, I like her. My favorite role of hers is is Jerry Maguire. So um, you had me a hello. <laughs> don't you mock me? <laughs> <laughs> I like Jerry Maguire. Don't get me wrong. Show me the money. I that just you, yeah. You dropped a tear at that point too, just like everybody else. <laughs> I can't lie. I did. I did. But, uh, no, I haven't seen, I haven't seen that movie Judy either. She did. Uh, apparently she did really well in it. It was very well received. Uh, I mean, just because you win an Oscar for something doesn't mean, in my opinion, you did a great role in it. Some people don't deserve the Oscars. They win. I'm talking to you, Brad Pitt. She must've done a fantastic job as Judy. So I'll, uh, I'll yeah. give it a try. I'll give it a try. Maybe when it pops up on like Netflix or something like that, I'm not going to pay to watch it. But, uh, yeah. Frank Morgan is the next person up on my list here. So he plays the wonderful role of Professor Marvel. Not an MCU character, guys. Uh, that is the name of the professor <laughs> of, at the beginning of the film. Uh, professor Marvel, he plays the Wizard of Oz. Uh, he plays the gatekeeper, the carriage driver, and the guard at the Emerald City. And that's a horse of a different color. He is a man of many faces. Yep. Only only one to have uh, five roles, five different roles uh, in the film. Because uh, I, th I think uh, most of the characters had two, mm -hmm. the the three big guys. Um, but yeah, he, he played a bunch. His, his role as Professor Marvel has something that always I can remember distinctly as being super weird. Right? So here's this guy who's got this, you know, van parked down by the river for lack of a better term <laughs> right and some some young lady comes walking up to him who's a runaway and uh you know he's like oh just come inside my van and let's look at a crystal ball together you know there's, there's a lot of other movies that start that way that end very very badly yeah you know? so it's, uh, <laughs> it always struck me as being like you know we always you know parents hey stranger danger and here she is you know right away just grabbing his food and then going in to read his crystal balls so it's uh it's a little weird for me is it, the marvel role of of that and then the fact that he knows where she lives enough to come check on her after the storm blows through again just kind of <laughs> adds into that little that little mild creeper vibe you know what i mean just uh just just a little bit yeah yeah it's just like Ah, I followed you home. I stare at you while you sleep. You know, nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry about, guys. 
Pay no attention to the man standing behind totally the tree cool. here. <laughs> hey, the, we're not at the quote section yet. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, I, obviously his most iconic uh, part in this whole thing is the Wizard of Oz. Um, you know, the titular character here, um, the big the big head up on the screen, you know, talking in that big booming voice, bring me the broom of the Wicked Witch of the West. Um I don't know anything else that he was in. Like nothing like pops up the top of my head that I've seen this guy in. And maybe I have seen him in something else and it's just not registering in my brain, but this is what I know Frank Morgan from. He's he's got a huge body of work, but none of it when I was looking over it, nothing was anything that I had seen or had uh, like overly that that stuck out. It's yeah. something that I had was familiar with. So, uh, but he did he did have a huge a huge body of work coming into this role uh, and then preceding it. He had even more so, so uh, quite, quite well known. I think most of it was on the stage though. I think uh, he didn't do too much for, for movies. Well, he did a fantastic it, job in this I, movie. I watched. Oh, absolutely. And I watched today for the first time I had the, the captions on and I, I missed a lot of his dialogue. Uh, his role as the wizard who, when he's bestowing the gifts upon, you know, the lion and the, the tin man and all that stuff is, is brilliant. Whoever wrote that did a great job writing it. And he, he brought it to life. He, I never realized that he was trying to say philanthropist. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The good deed doers, right? He's we got <laughs> these guys that do these good deeds. They're full, 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 full. I, you know, I never caught on until I saw like they spelled it out in the close caption. I was like, Oh, he's trying to, Shit, I missed that. You know, there's a bunch of news for me today as I as I rewatched, but but that just added to it because now he's the brilliance in the writing kind of came forward for the very first time. That there was there was a lot more to to and I, I was singing a lot of the wrong words. Also, I, I had to go back and double check to make sure that my closed captioning wasn't you know. <laughs> uh, I, had to, I, had, I had to fact check the the closed captioning guys, and uh, and they were right. So it was, I was singing a lot of the wrong words. Interesting, like, and, and it just added to the the beauty of how how well it was written. So, like, all right. So now I got to ask. Oh, so what words were you uh, mishearing or missinging all these years? It was primarily in if I only had a brain. Yeah. Uh, and I have to pull. I have to pull the lyrics. Uh, no worries. But. Uh, But it, so it wasn't it wasn't anything that I, I like it, but it was I was singing it wrong. I wasn't stuffing. It was somewhere in the beginning. I think it might have been conferring with the flowers. I, I was singing something completely different. Oh, okay. No, I mean it I get it. Have been. It was somewhere in the beginning. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. So yeah, but it was one of those things where I was like, no way. Like I, I was singing that wrong for so long. <laughs> but, that, but that's it was something. Yeah, something up in that that initial the initial start. Um, and I, I just totally missed it. That's what I love about having the closed captioning on now. Uh, my wife teases me about it all the time. She's like, do you really need the closed captioning on? Are you that deaf, like hard of hearing? It's like, no, it's not because I'm hard of hearing. It's because half the time 
I've heard it wrong my entire life. Case in point, like when my brother and I did the Armageddon episode last year, there's a line at the very beginning of the movie that I always misheard. And I just, it, it's, uh, it was the guy riding on the bicycle on the bridge and he has the dog in his basket. And I always thought he called the dog Little Reggie. That, that was always the name that I heard. Well, if you turn on the closed captioning, it's Little Richard. And that's what he's saying. Little Richard, but it sounded like Little Reggie. So I mean, there are little things <laughs> that are uh, they these little these these things that you do miss, and then when you actually get to see the script or you turn on the closed caption, you're just like, "Is that what they were saying? What the heck?" I n- never would have caught on to it. Never. And uh, same thing about, uh, and I'm glad you brought that up with the whole idea with him playing uh, the Wizard of Oz, because he also talks kind of fast a lot of the times, especially when he's interacting and handing out the gifts and stuff like that. He's kind of a smartass, and you miss those little smartass remarks he makes, or if you're really not paying attention, or you're not just, it's not registering in your brain, it's just like, you know, how can I ever thank you? And he's like, you can't. And then he moves on to the next thing, and it's just like... I was like, whoa, wait, wait, wait a minute. Did he really say that? He sh- that was that blew my mind. Yeah, here's the clock. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, the delivery, I mean, his his warmest delivery was to the Tin Man, you know, when he's, because he, he, he has that great line, uh, heart will never be practical until it's made unbreakable. I love that line. Uh, you know what I mean? I, I love, I love that line. So it's a, but that's his most like sentimental part. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then he's, he, you know, he, he talks about the, what he's giving the line, his thing. He's like, yeah, we've got these guys that come out once a year and they put on their uniforms and their medals and their data, you know what I mean? So it's like, he's, he's kind of like backwards jabbing friggin' some, some veterans, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> talking about Memorial, like Memorial Day. Yeah. yeah. These old guys come out and fit in their uniforms, go friggin' do a thing, you know? Uh, but like just that little, those subtleties that the jabs to where he's, He's he's kind of a, a cold, uh, kind of a cold asshole. So <laughs> I, I like him. Yeah, so do I. And uh, quite honestly, and when we get to that section, I can't wait. He has some of the best lines in this whole film, and some of the most thought-provoking and meaningful lines in this whole film. So I I, I can't wait to get there because there's just one that has always stuck with me, and I love it. Um, the next person on my list is uh, Ray Bolger, who plays the role of the Scarecrow, or his Kansas name is Hunk. He he has an interesting story because he wasn't going to be the scarecrow. Uh, I believe was it Ebsen was the original scarecrow or or Jack Haley was the original scarecrow. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm almost positive it was Ebsen uh, was going to be the original scarecrow, and then they uh, they recasted him because Ebsen had played had done all the dancing and and had gotten like the wobbly leg thing figured out. Uh, but and I, Ray Bolger was gonna play the Tin Man. He had a he had a different role. I, I I'm misremembering. I think, but um, but at the very last minute, they put him in as the Scarecrow, and he worked to get the the walking thing figured out, the wobbly leg thing. Because that was like one of the big one of the big deals. Uh, and then they moved Ebsen to the Tin Man. I, I think I remember reading that as well somewhere, and I think you're right. It was these two characters, uh, these two actors. They essentially were cast uh, in the opposite roles. Ray Bolger was cast as Tin Man, and Buddy Epson was cast as uh, Scarecrow, and then they ended up swapping, and I'm 
unfortunately, I, Buddy Epson got the raw end of that deal, didn't he? Did. Poor, guy. Poor guy. Yes. Um, the, ne- <laughs> the next person on my list, Bert Lar, uh, as the role of the cowardly lion. Is it the truth? Is it the truth? Or Zeke, as he was known in he, Kansas. He's got a great story. He destroyed the cast because he ad-libbed so much uh, of his his lines and stuff um, that they they had to retake so much because he'd come out and just be that guy. And we have those now with movies. Mm-hmm. Like you'll get that, you know, the, the B-reel with the DVDs or, you know, during the credits they'll play the, you know, the, the cut scenes and all that stuff. Uh, I wish we had that. I wish I could see him come out because the guy's hilarious and his delivery is great. Just completely destroy the cast with just kind of crazy random shit. You know, he'd come out and freaking, you know, as the lion and just say something completely dumb and just watch the entire cast just melt to pieces uh, with uncontrollable laughter. That would, that'd be awesome. But did you know that that was a real like lion pelt? No, I didn't. His, what? For real. No. Yeah, that was an act. And it weighed like 90 pounds. So this poor guy is up there dancing around in a 90 pound suit of freaking insanity. Uh, wow. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's commitment to the part, I guess. But my God, I, I don't know if I'd be happy about that. A real line pelt on me. That's um, shit's heavy. <laughs> ah, poor Mufasa. But uh, I. Hmm. 90 pounds. I'm sure he was sweating like, like, you know, like a pig in that thing, too. Yeah. Well, I mean, it said one of the things I read is they had to take breaks. Like he had to, you know, ever so often he had to stop and sit down and come out of it to otherwise he'd freaking heat cat out. And, you know. Yeah. I mean, this was this was all shot on sound stages and stuff like that. And, you know, back then, just all those lights blaring down on you. Ventilation wasn't the greatest. And so, oh, my God, no. That's a lot, man. Yeah. But hey, you know, it's one of those iconic characters too. So uh, again, commitment to the part, it paid off. And I didn't know that about the ad-libbing thing. I do remember reading that there were times, and you can even see it a few times in the film, where Judy Garland is smiling when she shouldn't be smiling while the cowardly lion is talking because obviously something is being said that was funny. And just like, no, Judy, you shouldn't be laughing. Don't laugh. <laughs> giggle fits. She had giggles. Yeah, giggle fits. Yeah. Uh, I think I also read somewhere that uh, the director slapped her once because of the fact that she wouldn't stop giggling. For real? I'm going to put a pin in that. I read something about that somewhere. And as we progress through this episode, I'm going to try to quickly find it up on my uh, phone. I remember reading an article about that. That w- at one point, the director slapped her because... She wasn't being professional and kept giggling. I think it was uh, an article I read, like things that movie yeah. directors wouldn't be able to get away with nowadays or some BS like that. I'll find it. I will. Uh, the next person on the list, Jack Haley, playing the role of the Tin Man or Hickory, as his Kansas name is. Um, Jack Haley. Uh, I liked him in the role as the Tin Man. I mean, after seeing what Buddy Epson looked like in the Tin Man and, you know, still hearing Buddy Epson sing and stuff like that, 
I, I still like Jack Haley. I think uh, when you do it the side-by-side -side comparison, uh, Buddy Upson in the 10-man get-up and Jack Haley in the 10-man get-up, I, I, I kind of lean towards the Jack Haley side a little bit more. It, it could just be because that's what I'm used to, that's what I saw, and that's what I grew up with. But also, just from a stand, I try to think of it from the standpoint of if I have never seen this movie before, I'm looking at stills of what could be, I, you know, that's where I'm going to lean. He just had that kind of suave, debonair feel to him. So when you look at him, him when they're in Kansas, right? Mm -hmm. uh, he's got that dark, like slicked hair, and you know he's he's got that face, that like crooner kind of face. You know what I mean? So he has, and I'm sure that was all you know cast accordingly to where he could be, you know, because you know, love was his thing. So he just looks to be like this. He always said just I always thought the Tin Man to be this super cool kind of like chill romantic guy you know uh or would be romantic if he had a heart you know <laughs> uh based on what his character looked like outside of the tin man makeup when they did the the kansas scene so he he got messed up by the tin man makeup as well yeah yeah he got a ended up getting his uh he had a an eye infection i think and ended up having to get surgery <laughs> on his eye to get the the makeup because they had changed it to a from a powder to a paste to keep it from getting inhaled anymore. Uh, but he got some of it in his eye and it messed up his eye pretty bad, I guess. Again, just like so much commitment. I mean, there's a lot of horror stories that are associated with the film making of this film and stuff like that. You know, Buddy Epson and uh, his uh, the poisoning of his lungs. Uh, getting the makeup in the eye, causing those problems. Uh, Margaret Hamilton, again, I'll talk about that here in a little bit, you know, and her issue with the pyrotechnics. Uh, and then just there's so many different things that uh, happened throughout this film. I was like, this is a huge commitment for these people. It's like, I have to sit back and look at it myself. I was like, if I were an actor, would I put myself through all this just to do a movie? And I just don't know if I could. But, you know... Maybe I'm not that committed. Maybe that's why I've never been in a movie. Who knows? It, you see it now. These actors go through massive physical transformations. You know, they got to play a role where they're, you know, an overweight 80 year old or they're, uh, you know, a super trim and fit. I, I think about uh, Tom Hanks in, uh, was it? Um, out, not out Castaway. Castaway, yeah. where he goes from being like an overweight airline pilot to this skin and bone, you know, survivor on an island. Uh, just the the physical transformation that he went through for for the film is unbelievable. Yep. You know, and what the the commitment level that took. Yeah. Uh, the other one that comes to mind too is uh, Christian Bale. Have you ever seen the movie The Machinist? I don't think so. Oh my god, it's a very it's a very disturbing film. Um, but one of it is is that Christian Bale is literally like skin and bones, and that's not CG. He actually put his body through that. And I just, that's a commitment. I don't know. I'm ready. I i don't know if I would ever be at that level of commitment. And I'm actually concerned for Christian Bale's like future. I mean, the way that he has dropped weight, put on weight, dropped weight, put on weight for all these roles, he has done so, in, 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 to my opinion, in such an unhealthy fashion. I, like, I, I don't even want to think about the long-term effects of what he's been putting his body through. But uh, even if you don't ever sit down and watch The Machinist, look it up and look at the pictures. It's creepy as hell. Like, you will not get that image of his body out of your mind. That's insane. Yeah. Um, I, I, I couldn't no, do it. Definitely couldn't do it. Like, 
Now, I don't mind, you know, if I'm Chris Pratt and I want to be in Guardians of the Galaxy and I'm a little overweight, but I want to kind of get jacked, you know, so I can go shirtless and stuff like that. I don't mind putting my body through that type of transformation, but I'm not going to sit there and become skin and bones just to play a role. Sorry. Right, you're not going to go through voluntary malnourishment, too. to to pursue but i mean hey man that's that's their job you know and they're really good at their job it's why they uh are in the positions that they're in is they have the ability to to become that character whatever it means to do that is you know that that's legit that's awesome yeah yeah um i did manage to find that article real quick about uh the director so uh just to take a quick step back Director Victor Fleming slapped Judy Garland when she wouldn't stop giggling. So uh, there was a book called Victor Fleming, an American movie master written by uh, author Michael uh, Sragow. Srago. Okay. I, I screwed up his name. Sorry. Michael S. And he wrote about the incident. He said that when Judy Garland couldn't stop breaking into fits of giggles at the pseudo menacing advance of the cowardly lion Fleming escorted her off the yellow brick road and said, now darling, this is serious slapped her on the cheek, then ordered now go in there and work. Apparently Fleming felt terrible about slapping Garland after the incident and started saying that somebody on the crew should punch him. Garland overheard this and said, I won't do that, but I'll kiss your nose. And then she kissed him on the nose. So apparently it wasn't enough to, cause an incident but it was enough to get her to stop giggling but the imagery of that is pretty funny he slaps the shit at her and then he's like oh shit i shouldn't <laughs> and then she just kind of like condescendingly goes and gives him a little smooch on the nose like that's <laughs> what the hell was going on in hollywood in 39 i don't know because nowadays if a director were to do that uh not only would they be immediately fired from the production they would probably be cast out from every society and stuff like that and there would be a hashtag movement to have them like basically publicly destroyed and all that other stuff. So, I mean, yeah, it's a different world back there in the 1930s than we are here in the 2010s, 2020s. Excuse me. Wow. We're in the 2020s now. Can't believe I said 2010s. Okay. We we are, we are, we've been there for a whole two years. Uh, That's exactly what I need. Uh, Moving on. Uh, we got Billy Burke playing the role of Glinda, uh, very pretty woman, by the way, absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. Um, yeah, that was, I I always loved that. It was a great casting part on theirs, uh, to, to bring in somebody that was, uh, cause that put a pretty person as a witch, Yeah, you know? The first, the first pretty, but for a lot of us anyway, first pretty witch you've ever seen, and it's like ah, oh. uh, and to be able to, uh, you know, make that clear distinction between, you know, the the warts and the long noses and the freaking, you know, just a, the the good and evil you were talking yep. about earlier makes that that very makes yeah. the good appealing looking like we're attracted to the good this is the thing that we want to keep our eyes on we want to associate and stuff like that and you know not not to hate on margaret hamilton or anything like that and she even jokes about she even joked about it apparently during production she knew that she was the ugly one but <laughs> um you know it, 
that's tough. That really is tough. And like, yeah, you know, you cast this beautiful woman, Billy Burke, to play the good witch Glenda. And then yeah, you got Margaret Hamilton. I mean, and then they slap that green makeup on her and make her look, you know, kind of dark, hideous and stuff like that. Unattractive. You want, they want you to dislike this person. They want you to dislike this character. And that, that's exactly it. And they... That that's where that comparison comes in. You're just like you need to associate yourself with the good witch. You want you you that's the one you want to walk away with, not not greeny meany over there. It, it's it, it makes it easier, that's for sure. Uh, something that I think the the great and powerful Oz corrects because it's the pretty sister who is the bad one. Ah, Mila Kunis. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's. Uh, so I, I, I think it's funny how they, they bring that, that balance kind of full circle to the story, uh, to, to correct that. But they, they did. She, Billy Burke was gorgeous and she, she brought the picture of uh, a good wish who didn't fly in on a broom. So there was a lot of disassociation with her character, you know? So they were trying to completely repaint, you know, she shows up in yeah. a bubble in a, in a pretty little, you know what I mean? Like this, this pink little fun flying bubble that's just coming down. And, She's wearing a crown uh, you know, on so her she, head. Her, her entry was going to, yeah, yeah they got this like flowy her, dress. Her wand is uh, long <laughs> and silver with a star. Yep. So it's more like a fairy yeah. than a, a witch, you know what I mean? So it's, it, there was a lot of thought that went into that development as her. And, and again, how she talks and how she, uh, how she delivers her speech, you know, she's, it's all open and it's, her entire dialogue is, is completely different than, than the evil. So they, they paint that picture and they support that, you know, here's, here's a good, a good person who is also a witch. And she's very breathy and very soft spoken and just like giddy. Um, yeah. I also read, you know, we're about to talk about Margaret Hamilton a little bit, but I also read that behind the scenes, their treatment was a little bit different too. So Billy Burke apparently had this nice, beautiful dressing room that was all decorated in pink and flowers and stuff like that. And Margaret Hamilton had like a makeshift tent that she got to hang out in and stuff like that. So she apparently, um, Margaret Hamilton at one uh, in an interview had talked about how she had, on days that Billy Burke wasn't on set, that she would sneak into Billy Burke's dressing room just so she could have like a nice, quiet, comforting place to eat her lunch. <laughs> but you know, the, uh, the treatment, I don't know if it was purposeful or <laughs> not like that, but I mean, even behind the scenes, you know, Billy Burke was getting the better stuff. And then here's poor Margaret Hamilton, just getting the shaft left and right. So good and evil. Man, yeah, manufactured resentment is kind of what that sounds mm-hmm. like. Uh, and like they were, they were doing. Yeah, they were. Yeah, um, you hear about this in movies all the time, like where uh, directors will specifically have like certain cast members uh, separated from others to create that feeling of resentment or things like that. Uh, you know, special treatments here and there. You know, oh, I'm going to put. Uh, I'm going to put Matt Damon up at the biggest suite at the hotel and stuff like that and make sure he's getting all the comforts of the world and stuff like that. And the cast members who are supposed to be his enemies in the film, we're going to put them at the uh, the roadway in uh, next to the you know crack whorehouse. And we're going to have them 
sit there and hate on Matt Damon in real life. And so they can carry that hate over into the film. You know, I'm just throwing that out there as an example, but you hear about directors or producers doing that all the time. So I don't know if this was a purposeful thing where like, Hey, you know, we want, we want Margaret to feel like she's the outcast here. So just give her a damn tent. Okay. And make sure Billy Burke has anything she wants. I believe Billy Burke was a bigger actress at the time. Uh, You're right. Uh, So coming into it, I I think she was, she had a more extensive, uh, more of an A-lister, I guess not to say that Margaret Hamilton wasn't Mm -hmm. one, but uh, I definitely think in the, in the, the, the pecking order, if you want to call it that, I guess, I, I believe she rated higher. So that would also kind of go if, you know, Margaret Hamilton was relatively new to the screen. You know, she's not going to get the the lovely trailer. You know, she'll, <laughs> <laughs> she'll get what, what they have to give at the time. But, but yeah, I, w- I would be interested to see if that was if that was a thing, if they they played into her resentment because those the two didn't have a lot of interaction Gosh, right there at the beginning. You know, they they had their. And, and Munchkin yeah. Land, right? Because then, you know, she's gone by the time Glinda comes back. So, so that would be. Is I, I can't imagine that there would be. They would need to uh, work resentment into the into the mix. You know, I mean, I don't believe it would be part of the recipe. I, no, no, be. that makes that makes sense. And uh, again, that's probably just me reaching there. But I, I think it's a. I think it's an interesting idea, if that were. A case uh, towards that. It just it, again, it might be pecking order, like you said. You know, yeah. uh, these actors, and so, especially nowadays, have these ridiculous writers written into their contract. Like, well, I need this, 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 this. I need twelve Dr. Peppers chilled to exactly thirty-four point eight degrees, and I'm probably never going to eat them. Or I need M and M's with all the red ones taken out. You know, they have these ridiculous writers. I don't know if those things existed back then. So maybe Billy Burke had a little bit more negotiating power with her agent. Or I, again, I don't know if they had agents back then either. But negotiating power, like, oh yeah, I'll be in your movie, but this is what I want, 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 want here. You know, and maybe Margaret Hamilton didn't have that kind of power. So many what ifs here. A lot of a lot of questions. But weren't at this point in time, weren't the the actors or. Yeah, the actors weren't they associated to a theater or a, a production company? Like they didn't they didn't travel between companies like they do now, right? Because I remember you and I talking about that. Was this was this still in that yes. time frame? Was this still yes. in that era? Uh, so so uh, okay, actors typically belonged to studios, um, and uh, or companies and stuff like that. So MGM, you know. Had there you had actors on contract like you have to make so a certain amount of movies with us and blah 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 blah. Now it wasn't unheard of that actors or actresses could be loaned to other uh, studios or anything like that, but usually that was like through negotiations and stuff like that. So MGM is sitting there staring at uh, I'll use uh, Universal as an example on this one. MGM is sitting there staring at Universal and like, oh, I really want that actor in this movie. Uh, they would go to Universal and be like, hey, uh, I want this actor. I will give you this person for two films in place of that actor and blah, 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 blah. So they were traded like commodities. They weren't representative of their own accord um, back in those days. So, yeah. Sound like baseball players. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'll, I'll, trade you, I'll trade you Matt Damon <laughs> and Russell Crowe for, yeah, you know, you know. Uh, Matt Damon and Russell Crowe. Who are you trying to get here? Matt Damon and Russell Crowe. Matt Damon. I don't don't, don't know where I was going. Yeah, I was just tuning in for Yeah. 
Uh, no, I mean, um, Matt Damon and Russell Crowe, who are they worth? Uh, they are worth one George Clooney. I have no idea. Um, it sounds right. <laughs> I would make that trade. Uh, the next one up on my list, Margaret Hamilton. We've talked about her uh, a lot leading up to this. I'm going to talk about her a little bit more after this. Uh, she plays the role of Miss Gulch and the iconic Wicked Witch of the West. Now, I feel bad for this woman because this is probably her most memorable role. And many years later, she still had to convince people children mainly, that she was not indeed the Wicked Witch of the West. Uh, she had she actually had a background in early childhood education. She used to teach, and uh, she loves kids and stuff like that. So taking on this role was very detrimental for her, um, and it, it really hurt her in a lot of ways. She even went as far as going on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood to talk about how it was just a fantasy, uh, just playing a part. I am a woman playing a part. I'm not actually a witch. I love children, blah, 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 blah. I also feel bad to her, for her for another reason is the fact that apparently she filmed a lot more for this movie and a good majority of it got cut because it was deemed by the studio to be too dark. And she, so she felt like she got ripped and I think we as the audience kind of got ripped because it, to give a little preview of what's coming up here soon, I think she's the, one of the best things about this movie. And the simple fact that I now know we didn't get to see, we could have seen more of her, kind of sad, kind of sad thought. Because they cut a bunch of her scenes and um, all the time that she had, she had spent, she got cut down to a very limited amount of screen time. Yeah, and it's just, uh, like I said, you know, Knowing we could have seen a lot more of her, it, I I feel like we as the audience kind of got ripped on that one as well because she is one of the best things about this whole movie. She she really is, and her work to to bring the witch to life I thought was was brilliant, and how she was able to it, one of the things she was afraid of is uh, she was going to be too ugly, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, and and scare folks away. But her ability to to capture the essence of the character and to become, I mean, really, like we said before, to become the image of what we think of as a witch. You know, she's she is it. She's what we I mean, maybe not exactly like her distinct facial features, but um, how she was represented as the witch was was something we became that, that just became the image in, in our minds. And uh, and she did. She got she got the raw end of the deal. Her and uh, Judy Garland end up having a great relationship from this movie, though, which I thought was one of the cooler stories uh, that I came across. Uh, and I'll, I'll bring up the, the backside of that when we talk later on down the road about, you know, why that relationship came about. But but yeah, to to, to have her cut and there, there's still a couple of scenes there uh, where she references some of the scenes that were cut. Yeah. So there's a there's a line or two in there where she drops she drops a line and you're if you're not really paying attention you miss it uh, but all of a sudden you, you catch the line you're like what is she talking about an insect like what what insect <laughs> there was no bugs there was you just didn't see because they didn't yeah. cut that line out of the thing right yeah you just didn't see it it was one of the scenes that didn't make the that didn't make the final thing but now she was she was the embodiment of evil and she did a great job indeed. 
And yes, I, I also, uh, I, I remember uh, reading that as well, that her and Judy Garland had a wonderful friendship and that Judy had a hard time being afraid of her in character because of how sweet of a woman she was in real life and stuff like that and how very embracing she was. Uh, so... Uh, I've, re I've read that a lot about our uh, classic Hollywood villains and stuff like that. Uh, another case in point, Alan Rickman playing the role of, you know, Severus Snape in the Harry Potter series. Here's a character that, you know, I mean, is supposed to be something all the someone all the kids hate at the school and stuff like that. But apparently he was just... He was such a great figure for all the child actors and stuff like that, that they found it very hard to be intimidated by him or, you know, be afraid of him on screen and stuff like that because of just how wonderful he was towards them all and things like that. So I, I love hearing stories about that and still being able to see and watch on screen. So just knowing that with good some good acting that you can still believe that Judy Garland was afraid of the Wicked Witch of the West, feared her and all sorts of things. Uh, same thing with all the child actors in the Harry Potter series. They all didn't like Snape. They wanted to hate him and stuff like that. But in real life, we're all friendly. And it's just beautiful stories like that that warm my heart. They obviously had never watched him in uh, Prince of Thieves. <laughs> Cut your heart out with a spoon. Why a spoon? Why a spoon? Yeah, no, it's uh... a. <laughs> but yeah, no, they. I, I get that, and we often forget that there's people behind the roles, mm -hmm. and so it, some of the people that we think, and I, I think there's there's balance to this too. Some of the people that we think are these amazing, awesome, bubbly characters are probably not they're probably not friendly people yeah. and then there's other folks who play these big deep dark angry roles that are you know bad or just squishy human beings yeah know? uh and it's it's hard for us to disassociate those so hearing those those stories it, it's hard to get into character because the person is so nice is <laughs> i like hearing that stuff absolutely um, and then my last name on my list is, uh, in an uncredited role, Buddy Epson, uh, playing the role of the Tin Man's singing voice in certain parts throughout the film. Uh, like we've already talked about, he was originally cast and, uh, shot a lot of scenes as the Tin Man, but due to health issues from playing the Tin Man, he was not able to complete the role and, uh, eventually Jack Haley took it over, but you can still hear him in, uh, the, some of the song sequences so uncredited buddy epson so can we talk about charlie grapewin for a minute yes absolutely go ahead so played uncle henry a very mm -hmm. light role mm -hmm. uh not a lot of speaking but uh charlie who uh toured with pt barnum if you knew that uh so did the he was a part of barnum circus uh, what played, I forget, I think he was the Scarecrow in the original stage production in 1905 or 6. So he was hmm. already familiar with The Wizard of Oz, had played a character in The Wizard of Oz on the stage. And then they brought him in to play uh, Uncle Henry for the actual film. Interesting. Huh. I did not know that. And I, got, I got one more. Uh, uh, Adriana oh, Casalotti? Does that name sound familiar? No. No? So she was the voice of Snow White in Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Oh, really? Did you know that she's in this movie? No. 
Where is she playing this movie? So, in during the Tin Man song, right? If uh, if I only had a heart or whatever it is, there's a female voice that comes across that says, "Wherefore art thou, Romeo?" Yeah, that was her. No, oh my god. So the voice, yeah, no, yeah, the voice of Snow White plays. Uh, she's got a cameo in the Wizard of Oz. Her voice does anyway. That is, wow, I that's pretty awesome. I just always assumed it was just like like some random extra back, or maybe even Judy Garland. Like, wow, okay, cool, that's awesome. That's actually kind of funny though, because I remember reading that uh, for MGM, this was their big answer to Snow White and the Seven Dwarves from Walt Disney, because uh, at the time, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves became the biggest, biggest movie of all time for that decade. And so MGM's like, we've got to get our own children's movie out there and stuff like that and show them what we can do. So that's actually kind of cool. Yeah, I thought so. it totally surprised me. I, I had no idea. So I, I listened today when I heard it again. On, I was like, yeah, no, that that's definitely her. It's <laughs> definitely the same voice. So that's yeah, cool. I've never put that two and two together. But it's also been years since I've watched Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. So I honestly don't remember too much about the voice. Maybe I need to just pull it up real quick, listen to the voice, and then go listen to that part. And maybe I can finally put that two and two together. Yeah, I had no idea until like I, I saw it. I was like, oh, shit. It's, <laughs> it's her. That's Snow White. That's awesome. Good good find. I like that. Um, I have one little casting what if before we uh, close out this category. Uh, there was another actress that was considered for the role of Dorothy Gale. She was another juvenile who was big at the time. We want to care to take a guess. I know the answer. So go ahead. Do you want to, do you want to yeah. announce it? No, no, you uh, go ahead. It was, it was Shirley Temple. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And quite honestly, I'm so glad it was Judy Garland. Yeah, I feel like she would have been too young for the role. Mm-hmm. And they tried to make Judy Garland younger. Yeah. Uh, they tried to make her, you know... Uh, you know, they had her like bind up her that I remember reading uh, her breasts were a big deal because, you know, she needed to look 12 and she did not, you know, anatomy <laughs> wise. and uh, they had her initially for a lot of the initial filming. They had her in like baby doll makeup. Mm-hmm. So uh, which leads to later on when a new director comes in to finish the film, uh, he's like, no, we're not doing this. Like, get rid of all that shit. And they ended up having to film a lot of her stuff over again in in different makeup so so yeah they they were going for that young thing but i think she just would have been it would have been too much she would have been too little and it would have been super weird no i agree i i feel like maybe we wouldn't have known the difference but i i feel like it would have been you know what i mean it's one thing to have a a a, a teenager or, or close to preteen. you know what i mean uh going through the adventure on her own, but you know, you throw a freaking nine-year-old in there and then all of a sudden it's like child endangerment, you know, (laughs) that's just bad parenting. What the fuck? Uh, Well, you know, uh, it's kind of like the thing that we would have probably been none the wiser if it had been Shirley Temple versus Judy Garland. But unfortunately we also live in a world where we, we know the two separately. So if it had been Shirley Temple in this role instead of Judy Garland, and I'm looking at Judy Garland in other roles and I'm thinking to myself, who would have been, who else could have played Dorothy? I, I I am confident that I would have leaned towards Judy Garland on this one, no matter who 
ended up playing that role, I'd be like Judy Garland. I just she may not look twelve, and they did their hardest to make her look younger. But she has the singing talent to bring those songs to life. And she just, she had that, she did manage to pull off that kind of innocent look, you know, like, I, you know, I, I don't know why this is, I, I've got a witch after me and, you know, you might get in trouble too. So uh, just all sorts of things uh, that she just did such a fantastic job with there. Uh, like Shirley Temple probably would have pl- seemed like it played up a little too much or anything like that. Uh, don't get me wrong. I like Shirley Temple. I've seen many Shirley Temple movies. I just don't see her ever in this role. And I'm glad it wasn't. I I can't get over the, you know, I, I think about Judy Garland's voice. Um, what does she sing? Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, right? In, uh, in Meet Me in St. Louis. Yes. I think about that voice. And when I think about Shirley Temple, all I can hear is animal crackers in my, in my soup. soup. <laughs> and to think about the girl, right? The, the girl who's singing animal crackers in my soup, singing somewhere over the rainbow drives me nuts. Like I, it hurts my brain to think about that. So I, you know, happy accidents, whatever you want to call it, you know, scheduling conflicts, they, it worked out to where the right voice was in the right role. I think to make it uh, what it was, because again, her, her voice, beautiful, cute, whatever you want to call it. But again, Animal Crackers, that's all I would have heard for Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Great. Now that song is stuck in my head. Thank you. Uh, Success! (laughs) Ah, Animal Crackers in my soup. All right, so uh, let's let's talk about our favorite actors slash actresses or uh, characters in this film. Um, I'll go first on this one, if you don't mind. I, uh, for me... It's Margaret Hamilton. Uh, Hands down, she is the best thing about this entire film. Her performance in this film was far superior to the other performers, and I'm even talking about Judy Garland here. Yes, Judy Garland can sing and stuff like that, but, I I mean, Margaret Hamilton sold me. She was so convincing as a wicked person that for years, even after the movie premiered, she still had to explain to children, like I talked about earlier, that she was pretending. And uh, that's just how convincing she was in her performance. And uh, that's how convincing she was as the Wicked Witch of the West. No matter what she has done after this, she is the Wicked Witch of the West. And I'm sitting here trying to remember how I felt about this in my childhood, because obviously I feel differently about movies now than I did then. And I remember, you know, finding her difficult to watch. Like, I, I remember being a little scared of her and her flying monkeys and stuff like that. You know, like, it was it was difficult to watch. And as I've grown older, I've learned to appreciate that what she has brought to the role and her commitment to being that standout character of this film. And so now when I watch it, I definitely just watch it for her performance mainly. Yeah, that, no, I, I can see that. She she definitely uh, brings a lot to the film. I watched that role differently now after after seeing you know uh, Oz the the great and powerful and then mm-hmm. and then Wicked as well. So there's there's extra layers on there, and I I can't help but think you know at, <laughs> after she sinks away and melts into the floor, <laughs> her and Scarecrow are gonna run away for a, a wonderful life together um, somewhere else. But yeah, it's. Uh, she definitely, definitely brought, you know, the uniqueness to to the movie itself, and and brought the ability to 
you, you saw you also saw transformation in the film because you saw her as a normal person when they're in Kansas. You know, she's you know, she's the Elmira Gulch. She's mm-hmm. just the the for lack of a better term, you know, she's the Karen of the of the neighborhood, right? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they existed in 39, who knew? <laughs> and and you see her go from that uh, and and do a hard transformation into something else. Now the other characters, you know, the you think about Jack Haley and and Brett or uh, Bert Lar, they they become you know the Tin Man and the Lion and the Scarecrow. These other these other characters, but their personalities don't shift. Their their physical appearance does change, but it's not the same. You know, she goes from being um, a shitty neighbor to the embodiment of evil. You know, there was there was a, a big shift for her. And and I'm I'm with you on that. I but I gotta say though, my my favorite was was Zeke or the, or the Cowardly Lion. You know, uh, mm. that he was my absolute favorite just because you know he's a tough talker until he gets whacked in the nose and then he's a giant bitch and um, <laughs> still funny. You know, he's, he he fakes it till he makes it. He is uh, you know, and he's got some of the the better one liners in the entire thing. You know. Um, uh, you know, I got a permanent, you know, <laughs> like he's talking to the wizard. It's like, <laughs> shut up and get out. Uh, and then, you know, when they're in the behind the rocks getting ready to storm the castle, uh, you know, he's doing all this tough talk and he's like, all right, guys, now, uh, now talk me out of it. <laughs> you know, and, uh, so it just his his all around personality. And he's also the only one that got two songs by himself. Uh, of of the three characters of the uh, of the the scarecrow, the Tin Man, and the Lion, so he sings, uh, you know, if I only had the nerve or the courage or whatever, and then he also sings, if I were king, right before they go in to see the wizard. Uh, yeah, you know what? You're absolutely right. I didn't even think about that. Huh. Yeah. So he's got the the two. So he was he was my favorite. Uh, just uh, on the on the personality. And and the, and the character itself of the cowardly lion, he's I guess the one I associated the most with. Nah, I, I like that, and especially after learning that he ad libbed a lot of his lines and stuff like that. I love hearing stuff about that. Um, you know, it, you know, it makes you wonder how much of that ad libbing ended up in the final, you know, the final product. I mean, so what did we see? on there that was script versus ad lib because nowadays you hear, you know, director, especially with, uh, you know, comedic classics like, uh, Robin Williams, for example, Robin Williams. Uh, I remember reading somewhere was always told you know, like, let's read it once as it's written. And then let's go back and you do you. And half the time they ended up just going with whatever he decided to do. So, I mean, that's the power of ad-libbing and performance because it just writers have good ideas and stuff like that, but sometimes it looks good on paper, but once it's said out loud, you're just like, ah, I've got something better. And then like, oh yeah, let's go with that. So that'd be very interesting to know how much of his lines were actually what was originally written or what he made up on the spot. And I can imagine a lot of the insults, you know, when he initially comes out on the fray, he's... He's talking a lot of smack to Scarecrow and to Tin Man, you know, uh, you know, how long you stay fresh in that can, you know, things like that. <laughs> I, I have to imagine, you know, they, they probably shot that five, six different times with him saying different stuff. Uh, you know, just bring him just random insults to that. And 
and I would love to see or, or hear what they were. Like, what, what did he come up with to, off the top of his head? And, uh, you know, because <laughs> he's, uh, I forget what the line is. He talks about the straw and, and Scarecrow's like, now that's getting personal, you know? Like, hey, take it easy, you know? So you wonder if, if maybe maybe the line was dropped at, you know, maybe you, you got to, to see some uh, some back and forth between the actors. Yeah. And uh, Ray Bolger was giving him back some ad libs saying, you know, hey, <laughs> you're, you're crossing the line there, Lion. Be like, um, like whoa, kid, this, this, is, this is a kid's to, movie to, here. To yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah. So yeah, so he was my favorite. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, well, that brings us to uh, our top scenes and sequences here. So um, typically, uh, I've always, I try to choose at least three. I don't know how many you chose, but I'm going to let you lead us off first here, and we'll see if we uh, share any of these scenes or sequences, or if we just completely love different parts about this movie. All right. So top scenes. Uh, so I think. For me, one of the default sequences is uh, the house landing and her going from sepia into Technicolor. So brilliant transition, very well done, uh, huge dramatic emphasis, brings up uh, the beauty of Oz into into full picture because of all the the vibrance of, of everything that's going around there. So I would say there's that one. And then I would say the scene with, the scarecrow because the scarecrow kind of has like a special place in the film. I know he's like the first dude that comes around, but the relationship between Dorothy and the scarecrow is, is deeper than the others. There's more to it than, uh, than the lion or, or the tin man. And so that initial response, their initial song, you know, uh, I think is probably one of the, one of the better ones. And I think that, there's a special place for that just in uh, merit of, of their relationship and how they interact with each other. So, because after that, like they make the decision whether or not they're going to offer the, the tin man together. So they're like, you know, you know they, they kind of have like the old couple, even though it was only like four hours mm-hmm. earlier, you know, there's, there's just a, a little bit more depth there and, and his bringing the scarecrow on the initial uh, introduction to him and his song, I think is, is probably one of my, my favorite sequences. Uh, And then the last one would be (laughs) the, the exit from the castle uh, when they're trying to escape all the guards and the, um, the witch, because they make a pro what was probably the very first ever, uh, you know, basic horror film mistake. First off, they let the guy with no brains lead them or attempt to lead them out of the castle. Uh, And then the guy with no brains didn't go out the door. He went up the stairs. Dumbass. Why are you going up the stairs? So so that was one of the funniest things I've I've thought about, you know, after watching, you know, horror films and, you know, especially in the the late 80s, early 90s, you know, you see all these characters making very stupid decisions. Mm -hmm. Uh, he may have been the very first one to make those decisions <laughs> and and lay the groundwork for for horror films later on to make those those same ones. So those are mine. That's a good point. Uh, that's an excellent point. I've never thought about that before. Um, yeah, I like I love all those scenes. Um, 
your uh, your first one, the Dorothy Landing in Oz, was my second one on my list. So there's one I'll go ahead and cross off because you you basically said everything that I wanted to say about it. So uh, my very first scene then was uh, or sequence is the Over the Rainbow sequence. Uh, so again, it's just it's associated with such a classic song. Um, it became one of the most iconic songs in movie history, uh, and it became a signature ballad for Judy Garland. Uh, you know, even though she has other iconic songs under her uh, repertoire, but when you think Judy Garland, what do you think? You think Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Uh, and this song has also influenced generations yeah. of performers. I mean, just so many people. Uh, I went and looked it up. There have been several different versions of this song over the years. Um all the way back to even in the 40s, there were German versions of this song being made. Uh, one of the one of the most famous uh, versions of it is, I'm not even going to try to say this guy's name. It's the Hawaiian guy with the ukulele. Uh, I'll say Israel. That's his first name. I don't know how to say his last name. I'm not going to. Is. Yeah. It, yeah. Yep. Uh, that's a very famous version of that song. Um, Ava Cassidy, Danielle Hope, Ariana Grande. Um they all made this song. Uh, Patti LaBelle and the Bluebells did a version of this song. Uh, Nicholas David, for, uh, who was a contestant on The Voice, sang this as uh, part of his contest. And uh, one of my favorite versions of this is from Harry Nilsson. Um, he did a great version of this. Uh, one of the most famous soundtracks that I can think of that it was on was from the movie You've Got Mail. Um, it's just, I love this song i remember singing the song with my mom when we would be on road trips and stuff like that uh i've actually been singing it daily uh since i started uh you know doing my notes for this movie and research i'll just be sitting there on the boat and i'm just like somewhere over the rainbow and then everybody's staring at me like i'm cuckoo for cocoa puffs the guy in the back starts singing with you yeah <laughs> Hey, man, if we got some good harmonizing going, I don't care if he's telling me to shut up. As long as he sounds good singing it, sing it, dude. Um, um, you know, I'm not saying I'm a great singer or anything, but, my, you know, let's get some good harmonizing going. Uh, but, I mean, the sequence in song is so full of, uh, it's just so full of emotion uh, that any child can relate to it. I mean, it's about her being an wanting to get away from a place that she feels like she's an outsider in, you know, questioning why no one takes, uh, you know, as kids or even teenagers, we've always questioned why people don't take it seriously or, you know, we wish for a different type of life. Like, why can't I just get out of here and go somewhere uh, that I've heard of once in a lullaby? Um, you know, if happy little bluebirds can fly away, why can't I fly away? We all have, that's something every child can relate to. I, in my opinion, it's some point in their life. And I think that's what makes the song just powerful and iconic. And it, again, it, it sets the entire tone for the remainder of the movie because she definitely gets to fly far, far away. Not like a bluebird, but she gets to fly. They were going to bring the, they were going to bring that back. I think right before she left or before Glinda shows up in the Emerald city, the original plan was for her to do a reprise mm -hmm. Uh, but they determined it was going to be like too sad. <laughs> like it was, you know what I mean? Like, so they, they, it was too much. There was too much emotion involved. So they ended up not doing it. But I was, 
amazed to, and to think how that would have changed the tone for that scene. So you've got the babbling wizard who, you know, flies away in his balloon and which looked intentional. So when you watch that again, watch the lion, the scarecrow and the tin man. Right. So as soon as Dorothy hops out of that thing. So it's still tied down when she hops out. As soon as she's out of it, they untie it. So I'm thinking they wanted her to stay <laughs> and they untie the thing. Now, I'm sure it was just a timing thing <laughs> uh, for the filming. But uh, I, I noticed that and I was like, man, they definitely untie that after she was out of the basket. So they want him to go and her to stay. But that would have changed because that's a pretty emotional scene when she's getting ready to leave them anyway. You know, so now if you were to add, uh, because now it's it's going back home. Mm-hmm. You know, she's singing the song to go home, not to go somewhere else. And so I I can see how that would have been pretty emotional. But I, it was interesting to see that they were going to plug that in again as a reprise uh, in Oz as well. I'm glad they ended up cutting the reprise because it would have changed the tone of the film in many different ways. It also would have uh, killed the pacing of the film a little bit. I mean, you're, I, I know you're starting to wrap up the story here, but all of a sudden I really feel like that song at that particular moment would have kind of brought things to a standstill and you're in wrap up mode and you don't need to be doing that at this point. It served its purpose at the beginning of the film and that's where it needed to stay. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I never really noticed the timing of her hopping out of the basket of when they let go of the lines. Uh, like you said, it might just have been an editing issue or a timing issue or something like that. But uh, who knows? You might be onto something here. Maybe it was their diabolical plan to make her stay because they had no idea that the ruby slippers at the time could actually transport her home. So they're like, ha we're going to get Dorothy to stay. Ha. Her and her little dog, too. Oh, he did it. He, he did it. He did it. Uh, made the tie-in. <laughs> Anybody who's done line handling on any type of vessel knows that you do not let go of those lines until the captain of that vessel tells you to let go of those lines. Just throwing that out there. Or whoever's in charge, who is ever appointed by the captain of that vessel. So that brings us to our next category of quotable lines. Um, a lot of great lines in this film. Uh some very memorable and notable ones. I I've tried to stay away from the notable ones. Like, you know, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Um, I quote that a lot, uh, just in everyday life. Uh, but the very first one that I comes to mind when it comes to this movie is one from, uh, the wizard, uh, the wizard again, I think had some of the best lines in this whole film, but, uh, this one line when he's talking to the Tin Man, it just gets me every time. And I quote, a heart is not judged by how much you love, but by how much you are loved by others. End quote. And God, this one just always gets me. And I, even at my age, I'm not going to sit here and say that I fully understand that line, but I have an idea of what it means to me. You know, it's one thing to love those around you. Heck, it's even bigger if you learn to love yourself. But the key is opening up your heart and allowing others to love you. And that's one of the hardest things that for us as humans to be able to do. 
You know, having heart is more than using the energy that it creates. It's about being able to recharge, replenish that energy that others are willing to put out as well. You know, a good heart is one that can deplete and be refilled. Having heart is allowing is a measure of what you allow to yourself to put inside of it. And you are always presented with countless opportunities all throughout your life to fill it with all sorts of stuff. And what you decide to fill it with is on you, whether that's going to be good love, hate, um, any other type of emotion out there. Uh, again, not to go too religious on us here, but uh, a, a script, a piece of scripture comes to mind. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. And to me, that is just a good depiction of what the wizard is trying to explain here. Allow good and love into your heart and good and love will pour from it. Allow bad in or nothing in, then nothing will be able to pour from it properly. So taking it back to that line, it's not about how much you love. It's about how much you are loved by others and allow people in. So that's what that line means to me. Sorry for the very long winded explanation of why I love that line. No, that was incredible. I, I like that. And one of the, I, one of the ones I, I pulled earlier was, you know, the, when he says, cause he's also talking to the Tin Man at the same time, you know, the heart will never be practical until it's made. Mm-hmm. Uh, unbreakable love that one because yeah, um, how lucky he is to, to have one and then he transitions into that part and um and that no that's that's a a, a powerful piece of writing right there so it's that's good shit man <laughs> i like where you went with that that was awesome <laughs> i don't want to share mine now because yours was yours was great can we just go to the next segment <laughs> i'll you know i'll rattle off my next two lines that way uh because they don't get as deep on the next two so i'll i'll, I'll try to get light here um so my next one is uh scarecrow in response to dorothy's questions about how uh he can talk if he doesn't have a brain he says i don't know but some people without brains do an awful lot of talking, don't they? <laughs> I've always loved that line. I mean, you can relate that to almost anything in life, and I I don't want to I don't want to be political here, but I, I I see it all the time. Anytime I turn on a news program, and there's there's a senator or a, a representative on there trying to tell me about how I should live my life and how I should trust them and stuff like that. I'm like, man, if you only had a brain, you know. Just saying. <laughs> and, song plays. Uh, yes, the song plays. Uh, and then uh, my last one is uh, Dorothy when uh, she says, "I've got a witch mad at me, and you might get into trouble." All I can think of is uh, all I can think of is like middle school in this one or high school, where you know, if somebody is if somebody's associated with doing something bad and you're associated with that person, you're kind of like guilty by association. It's like, so you got to be careful who you're friends with or who you associate yourself with, because you don't want to get that reputation. You don't want others coming after you too. And stuff like that's all I think. of. Uh, I like that line. I, that line always makes me chuckle because it's, she says it with such a uh, uh, indifference almost, you know, uh, <laughs> and sincerity. Like she's like concerned, like, Hey, Hey, there's, there's a bad lady who's really pissed off me right now. So, uh, you may not want to hang out with me. Like, you know, it was, yeah. I, how she delivered like was was wonderful. So yeah, stand I, stand so six feet one, away. Social distancing. 
Yeah, yeah, get away from me. Get away from me. <laughs> so you don't get hit with the, the fireball from the witch. Yeah. So my number one was was your number two. The, the some people without brains do an awful lot of thinking, don't they? Uh, so that was that was definitely my number one. Uh, the the second one I have is uh, when Glinda looks at uh, looks at Alphabet and says, you know, be gone before someone drops a house on you. Right? <laughs> I, I, I don't know what it is about that line specifically, but that's one of the lines that I always look for. And I know it's coming and I'm like, oh, yes, here she goes. Here she goes. She's going to do it. Because she, like, she chuckles at her. Uh, you know, she's like, you have no power here. Like, get out of here before somebody drops a house on you, too. You know? So she's like, oh, shit. You know, and, and then she bails. So that's that, that's one of my, my more favorite ones. And then my last one is one that is actually misquoted. And I love it because it's misquoted. Um, it, much like the Star Wars, you know, Luke, I am your father, father thing, yeah. right? Right. Uh, so she never says uh, fly, my pretties, fly. She just says fly, fly, fly. When she's launching the monkeys. So it is it, again, it's, it's one of those misquoted ones that has just become adopted as being the line, but it's not the line at all. And and that's the only reason I, I I'm kind of drawn to it is because it's it it's just fly fly fly. She's in the window. She's yelling at him, telling him to go. I have honestly never paid attention, but I've quite always remember it being fly my pretties. Holy crap! Okay, okay, I'm gonna have to just go pull up that one scene real quick after this because oh my god, yeah. I always remember it as fly fly my pretties. Those Mandela effects, man. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. And that was uh, just one of the things that always makes me laugh because uh, I, and I think it was my sister that would always say that, would always say the fly, my pretty fly. And she would say it like right around the same time. And I'd be like, that's not the line. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> like, you're saying it wrong. <laughs> no, really. But, uh, but yeah. Well, it's canon now. We we all heard it that way. It's canon. Yeah, there you go. Yep, yep. It's for real. <laughs> Somebody changed it after they did the, the digital remaster. Uh, I like those lines. Yeah. Oh, my God. That, that kind of blows my mind about the whole fly, fly, fly. So it makes me think of uh, going back to the Lord of the Rings episodes um, from, you know, the Fellowship of the Ring when Gandalf is about to drop into the chasm and there are people out there who believe that the line was run you fools, but it's actually fly you fools. What do you remember this controversy? I don't remember the controversy, but I remember it being run you fools. I haven't watched fly you in a while. I'm sure it is. I, I'm sure it's fly you <laughs> fools and I'm, I'm misremembering, but that's I'm rem that line I'm remembering is run you fools. Mm-hmm. Why did movies do that? That's a that's weird. It's, it's did we add that in there? It's our brains. It's really it's really such a strange thing that our brains we fill in gaps or we we want to hear something and stuff like that or it's where somebody even suggests it suggests it once and then all of a sudden that's it. It's in our brains and that's what we know and that's what we feel, you know, it's it's the whole Luke, I am your father. Never says that. Never. So why do so many people believe it? Why is it such one of the most misquoted lines in all of cinema history? 
It's because somebody put it out there once and our brains registered it as that's it. It makes sense. Even though it doesn't make sense. Just watch the damn movie and you would know. He never says it. I, I think that misquote made itself into movies because, I mean, that that line is so iconic that it is it's quoted in other movies. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think I, I'll have to do some digging and I'll, I'll try to get you a, a legit source. But I believe in a couple movies, it's misquoted. Yeah. And that might be where, you know, if we're watching another movie and then, you know, the actor's always right. So it's got to be the line. <laughs> and we just forget because, you know. We're not going to immediately go back to Empire Strikes Back and watch it to make sure that that's exactly what the line was. So it's, you know, and we just end up quoting another movie that's misquoting another movie, which is a weird loop that I don't want to be in. (laughs) We're we're just playing this really weird game of telephone and nobody wants to admit they're wrong. Nope. (laughs) No. Um, which the the best line for telephone comes from you know singing in the rain another great musical moses supposed to toasted to roses but moses supposed erroneously <laughs> send that to telephone and see what comes out the other end it's amazing i i think so you know what uh, memory is like flooding back all of a sudden when we used to play telephone as ki- uh kids and i think i remember that exact line once and by the time it got to me, I don't even remember what I heard. Uh, little memories, Paul, flooding back here on that one. It's been a while. It's been a while since I've re- even seen Singing in the Rain. I, I barely remember it nowadays. I need to go back and give it a watch. Well, that brings us to uh, plot holes, movie mistakes, nitpicks. Do you have anything that, I mean, that we haven't already addressed or anything that you want to bring up on this category? Uh, the only thing that I could really nitpick was how god awful the Munchkin army was at marching. <laughs> um, so legit, like right from the get go, when they first make their entrance into the scene, here comes this formation of soldiers. They're not in step. They're not even swinging their arms. There's one little dude in the middle of the very front row who's like a whole two beats behind everybody else. Uh, and then that just continues and it just gets worse. And it's, I, I know, I know it's the army guy thing, you know, cause we marched and, you know, we spent so much time yelling at people to get in step and swing their arms the same. And, uh, but that was it. They like, that's legit. been one of the things I'm like, how is a uniformed freaking group of dudes so terrible at being together doing something? And there's wonderful, there's a great beat. You know what I mean? There's a, a steady drum beat that they could follow. That's like, you know, and you know, they suck. Oh my God. The Munchkin army let me down. It's funny you mention that because now I've got a Navy story to tell you. So when I was in boot camp and they're having to teach people how to march, I'd been marching for years before that because I was in marching band. So I just had to retrain my brain to military style commands and stuff like that or the how we uh, did our footwork. But other than that, I knew I knew the fundamentals of marching. There was a kid in my division who did not get it. He just could not figure out this idea of how to be in step, how his arms were supposed to swing while we were marching or anything like that. He he didn't get it to the point where he once fell while we were marching and our um our division commander, our recruit our RDC told us march the fuck over him. And we had to step on him. I felt kind of bad. 
<laughs> he just oh did not get it like anytime his it well i mean uh, he still didn't get it after that point but like every time his right foot went out his right arm went with it i'm just like dude what the hell is your problem uh, where's the disconnect in your brain here how do you not get marching it's something so simple we're talking about a four-beat process. One foot is on the odd numbers. One foot is on the even numbers. It's like you're walking, except you're just doing it in a more organized and suited fashion. Why is this hard? Sorry. It's organized walking. That's all it is. And, and what's funny is the natural gait, and we see people struggle with this all the time. Your natural gait, your arms swing opposite of your legs. Mm-hmm. You just don't think about it. But when you've got somebody in a brown round or, you know, for drill sergeants for us, I don't know what you guys have it there. Um, but somebody telling you, you're going to rotate your right arm when your left leg steps forward. Um, they, they think about it. And when they think about it, because it's just not, you know what I mean? If they just did it naturally, they did no problem. Yeah. It'd be great. But it's when you can tell they're getting in their own head and then they <laughs> fall and march over top of them. That That is classic. I would have loved to have seen that. That's just uh, those great stories. I felt uh, people I, doing dumb shit in formation. Oh my God. I felt so awful. I really did. It was just like, we just marched over this guy. I mean, luckily, you know, uh, yeah, you know, I, 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 I'm pretty sure it's probably the same way in the army and stuff like that. When y'all get into formation for marching, you, your shortest people are in the front and it just goes all the way back and your tallest people are in the back, right? Yep. Okay, so he was a tall dude. I was in like, I was like the third row from the back. He was in the second, or, or no, I'm sorry. I was the third row from the back. He was in the row in front of me. So when he fell, that's when I had to march over him. That's what it was. But luckily, so it wasn't like a whole formation marching over him. It was just three rows of people. But still, I mean, come on. It uh, wasn't. It's only three people that marched on him. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I was one of those people. Oh, But I wasn't about to get my ass beat either for not marching on him either. So I'm just saying. Uh whatever uh, um i've got one nitpick about this movie and i mean it was just dorothy's hair it changed throughout the film it was short it was long it was curly in some parts it was straight in some parts and it was just the result of piecing together footage from different times of filming like her, like you just watch, just yep. just watch the hair. It, it it changes, and it it's not noticeable if you're unless you've seen it. Uh, like you kind of got to be looking for it, but then there are times where it's just like it is noticeable, and you're just like, what the hell is going on with her hair here? Come on, pick a length or pick a style. You know, that was it. That's my only hey, nitpick. I am gonna hell yeah. I'm gonna go look at that now. Because that's that's something I have never noticed that her hair changes. I did notice there's a lot of uh, her subtleties this time when I watched it today. Um, she looks back at Glinda when they're doing like the the lollipop guild and the uh, what's the the lullaby league, right? When they do their presentation stuff, yeah. like she looks back at Glinda for like like encouragement or like what the hell is this? You know? <laughs> and that's something I've, I've never I've never noticed before. Uh, and like, are these guys for real? You know, it's like, she's super leery of the, the lullaby league. Like there's almost like fear in her face. And it's just, it was a, a weird thing that I had not noticed in, in times prior. Well, I mean, but the hair thing, I, I definitely got to check that out. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's not like all throughout the film, but it's just noticeable in uh, certain parts and stuff like that. And uh, I guess as far as like the munchkins are concerned, I mean, I got nothing against little people or anything. But I mean, if you've never encountered a mass amount of little people before, I'd probably be like... Ugh. What do I do? Do I stoop down to their level? Do I look down at them? Do I talk down at them? Do I? What do I do here? Do I give them a step stool when they're, it's time to talk to me? I mean, th- these are these are questions, you know. So she's probably looking at Glinda like, "What do I do? Huh? What's the norm here? You're you're like the queen thing here. Help! Help! Yeah, aren't you supposed to be my guiding, like <laughs> my my good witch? <laughs> <You're> so- <laughs> Right. New social interaction. What do I do? What do I do? <laughs> I come for everybody thinks I'm a pariah to now everybody wants to sing and dance with me. I mean, come on. You give me some help here. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, Louise. I, I, would be, I would be freaked out by the, yeah, I'd be freaked out by the, just the fact that, you know, you show up to this new country, this new land and everybody's singing and dancing all the time. It's like, oh, this is, this is the thing. Not to mi- so communicate through dancing. I actually thought about this too. So, like it, the movie goes from that black and white sepia to uh, color and stuff like that. Is that also supposed to be an analogy for her? Like, did she go from not being able to see in color to all of a sudden seeing in color, or was she always able to see in color? And that's just a visual aid for us. This that's actually a question that's always bugged me. That gets answered in the book. Okay, so it's been forever since I've read the book. So I don't remember. Yes, so she, it, with her initial conversation with the Scarecrow, um, they talk about uh, they talk about Kansas, mm-hmm. and they talk about Oz, and I actually highlighted this because it, it blew me away because I had forgotten. Um, if I can get the quote to pop up here. But it says... Uh, so it's, it's kind of long. Um, anyway, he says, uh, so the Scarecrow, this is the interaction between the Scarecrow and Dorothy. And the Scarecrow says, quote, I cannot understand why you should wish to leave this beautiful country and go back to the dry, gray place you call Kansas. Dorothy says, quote, that is because you have no brains, answered the girl. No matter how dreary or gray our homes are, we people of flesh and blood would rather live there than any other country, be it ever so beautiful. There's no place like home. So... So she, it was gray. So she saw it in gray and then saw, you know, Oz was colorful. Okay. Um, so, so that, 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 that got pointed out in the book and didn't really get translated to the movie. The only thing they took away from that was there's no place like home, which that doesn't, you know, that, that line doesn't show up until the end of the movie, um, where it's in the, the early parts of the book. Interesting. Okay. See, awesome. Just shows that maybe I should have gone back to the source material a little bit to try to find my answer instead of always sitting here like, because honestly, I don't remember that at all. So I, I'd always wondered all these years, did she see it in black and white and then see it in color? Or was that literally just a visual aid for us? But okay. I like that. All right. Time to rate this movie on a scale of one to 10. How would you rate it? One is bad, ten is awesome. Yes. I am gonna go whole numbers or can we do decimal points? If you want to do a decimal, go ahead. Okay. 
I'm going to give it an 8.7. Okay. Why? Why not a full 9? Why not the full 10? Why not the full 10? Uh, Because there are parts of it that I don't like. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are parts of it that... uh, And I'm, I'm like super judgy so <laughs> to give something a 10 would be like no movies a 10 there is the, the perfect movie hasn't been made yet yeah I, I feel so uh so it would be on the higher end of the spectrum uh an eight seven because a nine would be um it hits all of all of the cues where it's just joy it's just nostalgia it's just perfection or not perfection but it's just uh you know the, the quality and all those things. And there's just enough little dings in it to, to drop it down from a nine for me. Fair enough. Okay. I can give that. I can get behind What's that. What's yours? I give it a nine. Uh, so I agree with you like 10. It's very hard to give a movie a 10. Uh, even if I were to give a movie a 10, I know in my mind and in my heart that it's really not the perfect movie, but, uh, I give this one a nine. Is it is it perfect? No, um, but it does. It carries well for being eighty one years old, and it's just so many happy memories associated with it. Despite all its flaws, it's something yes. I enjoy watching, and uh, I just I can't wait for my kids to sit down and watch it with me. I, whenever I get tired of their current obsession, I will probably throw this on. Uh, right now, they're both obsessed with uh, Mary Poppins and Sonic the Hedgehog, and I haven't been annoyed by those two films yet. When one of them starts annoying yes. me, I will uh, I will get uh, <laughs> I will get Wizard of Oz on the screen. Perfect, indeed. Those are both good movies in their own right, though. Oh yes, I love the fact I started them on Mary Poppins at a very young age. I'm just like y'all are going to like this movie, or else y'all are going to find a new place to live. Sorry. <laughs> At four. Yeah. Sing me a tea, teaspoon of sugar. You can't get out. Yeah. Next. Yeah. No, I mean, it's like Julie Andrews is a goddess in this house. Okay. So Mary Poppins, Sound of Music, all those films, the, those are necessities in this house. And if you don't want to get on board with them, get out. That, and that's what I, all I have to say about that. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Uh, do, same. I'll say same. I mean, that that's just how my parents raised me, too. I was raised on Sound of Music. It's just, it's an absolute classic. It's one of my favorite. Again, one of those things that I catch myself singing randomly if I'm just, like, by myself or something. Yeah. Uh, I'll just break out into some Sound of Music. Do a deer, a female deer. Um... Do you have any miscellaneous thoughts associated with this movie? Before we wrap. Um, it, just how plagued, it, it blew me away how plagued with uh, bad luck the movie was. And we kind of touched on it yeah. with, you know, uh, Margaret Hamilton getting, you know, second and third degree burns when the trap door didn't open on time, uh, which led to, I, I don't know if you're going to, are you going to cover the the her recovery time? I, I had a note about it, but go ahead. By all means. Oh. Well, let's do it. it. It took her like three or four months to recover. And during that time, Judy Garland actually went out and watched her kids for her. Oh, that was sweet of her. So there was, yeah, there was like a, a that's where their, their relationship kind of took off. So, so there was that you, you lost, uh, you know, Buddy Epson. You almost lost Jack Haley. Um, 
the makeup seems to be the big killer. So uh, Margaret Hamilton's face was green for months after she was done because of the <laughs> the lead or whatever it was that was in the, in the paint. She couldn't get the green off of her face. Mm. So she had to walk around for months afterwards with a green face. And then the same with uh, Ray Bolger and walked around with uh, apparently that I just noticed today, the lines on his face. Yeah. Uh, for again, for months afterwards, because just whatever was in the paint that they were using, they could not get it off their skin. So uh, just weird, weird things like that. I, I, and I believe there's a curse of the wizard of Oz. Like that's a, that's a thing because uh, a lot of the weird wives tales, like you can see somebody hanging. Yeah. Like munchkins hanging in the mm-hmm. forest, but, uh, but it, it ends up just, it's just the bird, I guess. Uh, Cause there was a bunch of like exotic birds and one of the birds jumped up in one of the, like the fake trees. Yeah. But it's still, it's still creepy it as is. hell. I mean, have like, have you ever seen that video footage I before? I mean, no matter what it is, it creeps you out. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's frightening. It is. It's also, you know, who saw it? Like who picked that up? I was like, Oh my God, there's a hanging munchkin in the background. A a really good editor who was paying very good attention. I have no idea how they caught that. I mean, quite honestly, that's crazy. Um, no, I mean, yeah, this, this production was real. It was all sorts of just, unfortunate uh you know uh from the health issues to the burning and stuff like that uh two directors uh victor fleming was not the only director associated with this film it went through many directors uh during its production again which led to a lot of the changes and a lot of inconsistencies in the storyline and uh the editing process it just uh so many things went into making this movie some good some bad and while it goes down as one of the, you know, those iconic films in history, we just got to remember that a lot of people paid a price for this film uh, in many different ways. And not not like an ultimate price where they lost their lives or anything like that. But, you know, who wants to walk around with a green face for months afterwards? Uh, who wants to who wants to be uh, dealing with those health issues associated with the type of ma- uh, makeup they were using and stuff like that? Or this is the thing that kills me right here um where is it where is it where is it so the snow used in the poppy scene uh was made from 100 percent industrial grade asbestos despite the fact that the health hazards of asbestos had been known for several years they still used it as the snow they're literally laying in this stuff it is covering them they're breathing it in how did these people not die it's it's on their faces yeah i mean my god i mean uh, known hazardous materials to create a scene like this and putting lives in danger that just ah it it irks me it really does so that 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 always bothered me when i read that i can appreciate that safety standard yeah no i can appreciate that safety standards are were different back then Mm -hmm. um because even well shit even margaret hamilton's uh stunt double uh so you know the scene where she's flying around on the broom doing the skywriting stuff yeah her stunt double that was a smoke pipe like that was coming out of the back of the broom Mm -hmm. 
uh, her stunt double ended up frying like her hand and her legs like bad, like worse than than Margaret Hamilton got burned. Um, you know, nobody thought to look at that and be like, oh, this shit's hot. We probably shouldn't touch it. You know, <laughs> things yeah. like that. It seems it, it seems silly. Oh, this is a cancer causing agent. We know this in the 30s for Christ's sake. So uh, we we should definitely not use this. We should, you know, whatever, whatever it is. But uh, but yeah, I, I'm with you that. I get it. Safety standards were different, but at the same time, you had to. I have to believe that there were uh, known risks that were being taken that probably should not have been taken. Absolutely, like it, someone should have been there and said, "Hey, we're going to use asbestos as snow." Like, uh, 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 nope, stop, stop. Let's rethink this. Asbestos as snow. Say it out loud like five times before you commit to that idea because I want you to understand what you're saying here. You know, it just, ah, it baffles me. Absolutely yeah. baffles me. Um, what else you got? What other miscellaneous items here? Did you know that the Toto was paid more than the Munchkins was? Yes, I, I have a note on that as well. Um, the treatment of the Munchkins in general during the entire filming process, talking about uh, some of the bad stuff associated with the filming here. Uh, yeah, Toto was paid a lot. Toto and his trainer were paid a lot more than all the Munchkins were. And that's just kind of, again, blows my mind, baffling. I think I might be misquoting this, but I believe it was $125 a week for the dog and then $50 a week per Munchkin. Yeah, I think that's that's what it was. Yeah, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, I remember it being disparagingly awful. <laughs> the dog got got paid way better, and not but uh, not one Munchkin got an official credit for being in the film either. Really? Yeah, they're all listed as uncredited. I knew that there there was a lot of uh, post show post post-production all that stuff they um they all stayed in touch and i i think they formed oh man i'm misremembering this now but they, they formed a group or a union or something like that uh to seek out uh compensation correction uh but they all banded together and i i don't know what the results of that were but i remember reading something about that and i thought that was that's funny this group of folks and it was years later uh they they kind of came back together and I guess they still, well, I, I don't know if it's still happening now, probably not, but they were having like the Munchkin reunions. Yeah. Where they would, they would all gather together and all the Munchkins would come back together and uh, kind of like how we see like, you know, like World War II reunions. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> those cohorts come back together. So it was, I thought that was pretty interesting. There was actually, um, I don't remember how many of them there were, but uh, there was a little, a little traveling uh, group of them that came to, uh, a town uh, right next to where I used to live in Florida and uh, they were doing book signings and stuff like that. And uh, I, I remember them going around and uh, uh, doing those little traveling, uh, I'm not going to call them shows, but uh, they, they would go around talk about uh, what it was like to be on the film uh, or they would be descendants of the original munchkins uh, sharing stories and pictures and things like that. But uh, uh, I don't remember who it was that went to it, but somebody I knew went to it um, and they came back and they they talked about the mistreatments of uh, 
the the little people. I I hate that term. Um, I guess that's the accepted term, though. Uh, I don't know why it bothers me, but little people. They talked about the mistreatment of the little people um, on the the set and stuff like that, and they talked about those uh, inconsistencies in uh, pay and uh, recognition. I mean. Yeah, the Munchkins weren't in the entire movie, but they did make up a very significant uh, part of the movie and stuff like that. Uh, you you mentioned it right there. Uh, what's one of the first yeah. things you think of with Munchkins? The Lollipop Guild. Uh, you know, and they, they they are so iconic in so many different ways. It just, it just makes you sad that uh, they couldn't get uh, any type of recognition, equal pay, stuff like that you know we hear about this stuff now just in different forms uh you know whether it's uh, men get paid more than women or uh white people get paid more than black people it just it it's sad to see that things like that still happen just because you're different and i truly feel and they truly feel that's what it boils down to it's that you know they consider the dog more significant than little people and that's just crazy yeah and looking you know 80 years later we we get we get the privilege of hindsight mm-hmm. you know uh and and the discrimination sucks and that's what it was it was you know it was it was awful um you know but i look i look now and a lot of your your iconic lines and memories are with the munchkins in munchkin land you know what mm-hmm. i mean they they started the yellow brick road so it's uh you know doesn't doesn't fix the the pay gap and, and the treatment thing at all but uh but there is some i guess some solace maybe to be had in knowing that they they have a key and essential role in the iconic um or, or why this film is iconic and it's because of them absolutely absolutely anything else before i divulge my miscellaneous thoughts no, man, that's it. That's it for me. Awesome. Well, some just a uh, quick uh, miscellaneous thoughts from my end here. So a study claimed that this is the most watched movie in film history, largely due to the number of television screenings each year, as well as the various video slash DVD, Blu-ray, 4K releases that have uh, happened to enable children and all sorts of generations to be able to watch this movie. It's uh, become so iconic of a movie that, oh man, I all my notes are out of order now. Um, no. I know, I'm so mad now. Oh, uh, it was so iconic of a movie that uh, it made the top... I lost the note somewhere. It was in the top list of something. It was like in the top 10 of most iconic movies of all time. I I just, so I'm sorry. I must have deleted that note by accident when I was trying to do something. But on the flip side, I did manage to keep this note. The song Over the Rainbow was ranked number one by the American Film Institute in 2004 on the 100 greatest songs in American films list. So again, just talking about how important this song was in American cinema uh, and in the history of cinema that it just blows my mind. We never, we probably would have never had it had the producers got their way and cut it from the entire film. Uh, 
Dorothy's iconic red slippers are at the Smithsonian Institute, and that exhibit is so popular that they have to replace the carpet in front of the attraction almost yearly because of how much foot traffic goes in front of it. Uh, the horses of Emerald City that are, you know, the horse of a different color uh, were painted in jello crystals. That's how they got different colors. And the last thing I want to talk about is the actual inspiration for this story. So in 1898, Dorothy Louise Gage was born to the brother and sister-in-law of Maud Gage Baum, who was the wife of author L. Frank Baum. When little Dorothy died exactly five months later, Maud was heartbroken. Baum was just finishing The Wonderful Wizard of Oz and to comfort his wife named the heroine after Dorothy, changing her last name to Gail in his second book. Dorothy Gage was buried in Evergreen Memorial Cemetery in Bloomington, Illinois, where her grave was forgotten until 1996 when it was rediscovered. When Mickey Carroll, one of the last existing munchkins from the movie, learned of the discovery, he was eager to replace her deteriorated grave marker with a new one created by his own monument company. The new stone was dedicated in 1997 in the children's section of the cemetery renamed the Dorothy L. Gage Memorial Garden in the hope that bereaved families would be comforted in thinking of their lost children as being with Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, that's cool. That is cool. That is that is that is awesome. Yes. And that is all I have for my miscellaneous thoughts. This has been this is such an iconic movie. We can we can't say that enough. It's such a fun film to talk about it and barely like really scratching the tip of the iceberg when it comes to this film and how much of an impact it has had on the film industry, people's lives, American pop culture. Just it's it's so fantastic. Um, we could probably spend another few hours talking about it, but this that would be an extremely long podcast episode, and I think we're already approaching the four hour mark here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where are we? Uh, no, not four hours. So three and a half hour mark. Oh, no shit. <laughs> I know. Three and a half hours. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, oh my God, I didn't realize we, we've been talking that long. But it's been such a great discussion. I have yeah. thoroughly enjoyed having you on here to talk about this movie again. I'm so glad you chose it. Oh, I, no, the pleasure was all mine. I, I, I was stuck because I, I knew you were a musical guy, and uh, but I was trying not to let my own, you know, <laughs> biases gotta like drive the train. So I was like, all right, where's where's the happy medium, and just uh, just getting something iconic in there because uh your your passion your love for music or for movies is is palpable and uh and contagious so uh trying to get you into your into your zone which you got into uh, your your tangent zone is so badass <laughs> because you you have so much movie knowledge and when you go on these tangents i'm i just sit back and i, I smile because i'm like god you your uh your your movies are my whiskey so it, it's always i always enjoy uh seeing that and hearing you go off on your things and it's it's crazy educational so i appreciate you thanks for having me man this is awesome i I appreciate that too uh just love movies and i'm so i love musicals i'm so glad i finally found somebody who was willing to sit down and discuss a musical with me no offense to any of my previous guests here but uh i didn't dare brave asking anybody to join me on a musical discussion 
And I'm so glad you were up to the challenge. And I, I definitely can't wait to have you come back on here and we can have another discussion. Uh, it doesn't have to be a musical, but if it happens to be that way, sure, fine, whatever. Uh, but uh, we can, uh, again, I love to talk movies. Whether I like the movie or not, I'll, I will talk about it. And uh, yeah, just talking this movie just brought back, flooding all those memories of childhood and all the good times of, you know, watching it with my parents watching it as a family just quoting these lines and just it's it really is a magical thing and uh there's where the power of movies comes in uh you know it's not just about entertaining us it's about connecting us it's about making memories it's about bringing the world together and uniting under one belief that there there is something better out there and that we can have a different world or at least something that we can escape to when the times are bad. And this is a perfect movie for that type of uh, thought process. So again, thank you for uh, joining me on this discussion. It was a lot of fun and this has easily become one of my favorite episodes to produce and I can't wait to uh, share it out there with the rest of the world. Oh yeah, man. Thanks again. Yes, sir. All right, you guys, before I officially sign off, I just want to remind you all that we are getting closer and closer to our Christmas in July special, and I've already got some zingers uh, lined up here. Uh, we're going to be uh, starting off with my buddy Steven, and if you uh, remember the kind of person that Steven is, he's picked out a good one for us to launch Christmas in July with. Uh, no, it's not going to be Gremlins 2 to follow up our Gremlins discussion from last year, but we're going to have fun with what he's going to talk about. And I've got some other fun ones lined up after that. So make sure you're tuning in for that. Hit that subscribe button wherever you uh, get your podcast from. Uh, I am Chuck Goes to the Movies. And thank you for joining us. Joined again by uh, Ian from Why Whiskey. Thank you for joining us again. Go check out his uh, episodes. Absolutely wonderful to listen to. And this guy is a wealth of knowledge of uh, whiskey. I know y'all don't see it. I do. I get to look right behind him at that huge wall of whiskey that he's got lined up there. And it's just absolutely impressive and intimidating all at the same time. Uh, but I love it. And uh, guys, I will see you at the movies.